An Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path to the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies across the coast of Tusks this episode are... Hey guys, did you know that um, arborists all through Thondi are super excited? Why? Because there's this new species of tree. You might have heard of it. It's called the Kron's Pine. <laughs> well, you're next. <laughs> so, you want me to go to Thondia, but I hardly know ya. Josh, you're up. Well, we are here to get you in touch with your primal self. We savagely cover the Age of Beasts. Uh, And I'm Aaron, and uh, 525,600 seconds, how do you measure a life in Gur? And Paul, I'm going to need your help with this. Uh, Seasons of... There you go, I appreciate it. Uh, In this episode, we cover the lore of Seasons of War Thondia. And dear listeners, inside you, there are two beasts... One yearns to learn more about the Gurish lands of Thandia, about the places and history of that feral place, and the other wants to be regaled with a tale of one of the first encounters of those mystical manifestations of the realms known as incarnates. Which beast wins? Well, both of them, because we're going to be doing both of those things in this very episode. But before we do, how are you doing tonight, gentlemen? Splendid. 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 We don't get splendid a lot. Fantastic. Okay, we hear that every once in a while. Uh, Paul, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. I went first and I like totally lowballed it. And then everybody oh. just like accelerated. I was like, good. It was pretty good. I thought. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's that's the, the peril of going first. Uh, but then you also don't have to worry about uh, people. Like you don't have to worry about someone taking your intro. If you go first, like you, exactly. you got there first. So that's, that's yeah. what it's nice. I mean, nobody would tell <laughs> as bad of jokes as I do. So <laughs> <laughs> I wish I bet you I bet you Klaus knows, but there was a time where I think one time in history where someone was going to make the same intro joke as another person. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I'm sure that would be hard. That's an idea. Um, for that, yeah, yeah, it's it was it was wild. Um, so it sounds like everybody's doing great. Uh, we're here. We're going to do a story phase. We're going to talk about seasons of War Thania, but before we do, uh, we'll start as we often do with uh checking in with everybody and seeing what they've been up to lately in the hobby um so let's do that now um we'll go in the same order paul what have you been up to in the hobby um i have actually been working on archaeon no way yeah um i decided that i was going to paint up archaeon and so my color scheme is a little weird but and it's going to take a while but i'm super excited to be able to do that so how many of the heads are going to be spider heads None of them. Um, so the story is uh, that way back in the day when this model got released, I was quoted in White Dwarf with my real name <gasps> saying how awesome the model is. Hmm. And so I've wanted to paint it up for forever and I just have not gotten around to it. And so I need to paint this model unconverted because I'm literally quoted in White Dwarf saying how good this model is. Then That's maybe awesome. I can convert one. <laughs> you gotta get, get, uh, <laughs> get the OG it's first. One man first. Yeah, the the white dwarf is a legally binding document. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Got my name that's, on it. Everything. That's why I sign every yeah. single one that I get. Also, because like if anybody ever wants it, I feel like it could be like a collector's item eventually. Like, you know, if, you know if this podcasting thing ever takes off in history. Yeah. Do you sign it in like regular pen, or do you have like a cool metallic pen that you sign it in? Like you know, Ooh. real superstars. 
in my own blood. Oh, wow. it's more Warhammer than that. <laughs> I mean, if you sign it in skulls, maybe that'd be more Warhammer. I don't know. <laughs> tricky to do. Um, but <laughs> blood, blood would work. Yeah, I think blood's okay. okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, corn cares not. Will, hey, what have you been? What have you been up to? And and uh, I don't know. why I said Zahabi before, but now I feel like I got to keep saying it. <laughs> I have been painting up some Ideneth Deepkin. Um, yeah. Did a few conversions, making some like vampire uh, Achelian King, and I'm really liking it so far. All right. Very cool. Um, anything else to add? I'll keep going. Nope. All right. Right on. Uh, <laughs> hey, Josh. Hey, what have you been doing in the hobby today? Uh, well, uh, Vince and I have been working on getting uh, everything ready for the Warcry narrative event, May 22nd at Pegasus Games locally. Awesome. Gotten flyers up and everything ready. We're set. We got our first registrant. So perfect. Ooh. It's going well. But, nice. uh, also getting lists together for Path of Glory KO. I'm excited about and getting in, involved into some of the, the narrative online community, like the uh, the Hungering Steps, which would be kind of fun to start participating in. I'm looking Ooh, forward to yeah. that. I hear whoever runs that's a pretty cool dude. And yeah, handsome. Yeah, exactly. And modest. I don't know about those. <laughs> I never said that. Um, <laughs> I am very, very cool. Uh, and for mine, I'm just, just slowly working through daughter stuff. So I think I moved on to my, what it, the Kira and I, the, the winged gals. Um, nice. So those are, man, those are, I, I, first of all, I hate whips, but I also hate spindly wing bits too. So add them to the list of awful. Yep. Why did you even pick up this army? It's like all whips and spindly bits. Because cause cause they're there, Paul. Like, why did people climb Everest? Why do... Uh... <laughs> it must be done. Yeah. It must be done. Um, I feel like it would be remiss if we didn't also mention that we went to Adepticon between the last time that we recorded them. You can't can't prove it. You have no evidence. <laughs> yeah, there literally is a picture pictures. of us all <laughs> at Adepticon. I literally exactly can prove it. So, yeah. Nah, that ain't me. Um, yeah, no, we were there. I mean, it was a hoot. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just say that that was my first Adepticon. It might have been some others first as well. Uh, but what a delight. I mean, people weren't weren't kidding that it is it was a it was a joy even to be there just for the the short few days that i was at it wasn't able to stay for the whole thing mm-hmm. um so it was great thanks for everybody here who let me just sort of hover behind them you know just as a like a hanger on um that uh, really made all the, made all the difference so but i, I guess i'm not to take over this conversation, but all the people that I met at Adepticon too, uh, you know who you are because Lord knows I don't. Um, <laughs> but it, it was a pleasure meeting each and every one of you. Except for those that you crushed in Underworlds, apparently. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I crushed anyone. That's not true. <laughs> you made feel sweat. You made feel sweat. That was good. Yeah. No, that was like my 10th or 11th. And I feel like every year I go, it just keeps getting better. So it's totally worth it. So. Yeah. Right on, and it was awesome to have everybody there and yes. the picture. Like that was yeah, super it was cool. Great. I know we just missed Paven. You know, was yeah. bad he couldn't make it. Uh, I'm sensing a trend. <laughs> looking at this here episode, <laughs> just and we got a, like a full house picture too. I mean, who gets to do that? Like, it's super awesome. Yeah, right. it was nice. Anyway, that was my aside. I apologize. No apologies needed. Definitely necessary. Um. All right. So, any other final what people have been up to thoughts before we jump into this year's story phase? Awesome and great. Uh, Paul, you know what to do. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. We sure do. But in this particular story phase, we'll be 
delving into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of a singular realm, and that realm is Gur. Mm-hmm. Um, Guys, it really like took me a long realm. time to realize that Gur is, is the like, realm of peace. I never put two perfect. together. Yeah, until uh, yeah. very, very it's recently. Like six years? Did it take you six years to figure out? Yeah. Well, I mean, longer, right? Because Gur was always the wind of magic. Like, I should have known even in fantasy, but I never really put it together. Too. Oh, wow. All That's fair. Other, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't pick up that up in fantasy. It was only when the mortal realms, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's yep. the realm of yep. peace. I get it. I, Gur. I yeah. don't want to tell you how much time I spent going then through all the other realms to see if those two were something, <laughs> sure, and I don't, sure. and I don't think they are. It's like one of those license plates where you got to say it out loud to get well, right. Yeah, true. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. that's right. That's a good point. To that point, do you know why all of the light mages have snakes on them? No, it's because the wind of magic is hish. <laughs> You think it'd be a really quiet, a really quiet realm. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, we're here to talk about um, the seasons of War Thondia. Uh, so I suppose we could maybe talk about how we got here. That's maybe a good place to start, right? I feel like that's what we do for our campaign books. Those books that are set squarely in a story, right? Mm-hmm. Or in like a, I'm not just story, but it's set squarely in a, I don't know, in a timeline or in, in a point in history, I suppose. Yeah. Old, uh, th- my old... Um what is that? Not thread. My old standby. Hallmark standby. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you take it away. If you want to talk about where we are now how, and how did we get here, I, I'm open to all uh, inputs. Um, <laughs> so this this narrative basically starts right after Dominion, the box set. And not only does it start right after, it picks up even on a couple of the characters, which is super fun, awesome, amazing times. Mm-hmm. Oh man, do I, I love continuity. When characters can't get enough. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So um, basically, AOS 3.0, we've got the whole Necroquake, we have the Age of Sigmar, like, and we had Alariel's Rite of um, Life, and then 3.0 drops right after Broken Realms, and that's literally where we are right now. So just slightly progressed from that events of the box set and the Amberstone Watch battle. So. It certainly feels like this is the, f- the first book where they pick it up like immediately after the end yeah. of the last thing that came out, which I, yeah. I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, it is super interesting. Uh, I hate that word now. Um, <laughs> it is super compelling <laughs> that they picked up on one of the box sets. Yeah. Yes. Because typically the box sets end up as a little paragraph in a battle tome. Mm-hmm. And this is the yeah. opposite of that. I... I was initially worried that it was just going to be like, oh, yeah, the box had happened and it's definitely a real thing. But like, I really feel like this book lends more weight to those battles that took place when people first started with the third edition. Yeah, agreed. I feel like the, the, the some of the box sets, it used to be that the, the events would occur in them, I'm like battle boxes and other starter sets, the events would occur in them. And then they started, the events would occur and then they'd start referencing them later. Or like, again, like Paul said, like as a blurb or a paragraph somewhere else. But this to your point and just sort of reiterate what was just said like this is the first time i i agree that the events from a box set clearly lead into something it's the first time the characters have been held on to um or you know those characters that are named in the story but aren't named or have their own models per se um like injustice is gonna is sort of gonna be around in perpetuity but like the other characters that stem from that story uh don't have their own models but like they are 
uh, well, not eternally uh, <laughs> uh, identified in these stories, but like they 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 continue on. And um, if anybody follows me at all, do I love continuity? I do. Um, so that that was one of the highlights of this book. It's such a small thing. It's such a minor consideration, but I was uh, delighted to see it here. Well, but yeah, at the yeah. same time, um, um, I, you say it's a minor thing, but I think it's a really important thing because the characters are who we resonate with, right? And and that's also a point that I really like about this book is that to a certain extent, it almost feels like a black library book because it has specific characters and it tells their story from their perspective. And this is the first time in Age of Sigmar when we have gotten specific direct books in the place where we're talking about. And so we started out in Gur, right, with the General's Handbook, but now we're specifically in Thondia and we also have... Kragnos, which just came out, which I understand was supposed to release with Broken Realms, um, but also Hallowed Ground that's taking place in the Thondia as well. And so we have like a, almost a triptych of stories right now in this specific place and time within, say, 20 years. And that's pretty amazing and fantastic because it adds so much depth. And like, I feel like I know Thondia now. Yeah. And that's a new feeling for me. Like I, I know Excelsis and I've been there so many times. And then to take my knowledge of Excelsis and expand it out into Thondia as a whole is just super fun. Yeah, I agree. Though I will say if, if any of you out there aren't fans of Thondia, now's a bad time to be into Age of Sigmar. <laughs> uh, that's really all you're getting. Um, all right. So given that we're, we're talking about how we got here, uh, the, the book kindly lays out a little bit of history of this uh, of this region of Thondia, similar to how they lay out a history in these battle tomes, right? So they lay histories out uh, for different factions in their battle tomes. It's almost like this Season of War Thondia book is a battle tome for the, 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 the setting of, of Thondia. And we get that same type of um, timeline here uh, for, you know, events that are pertinent to the region. Um, and so I, I see no reason why we can't r- run through this timeline like we do uh, with our battle tomes. If if that would please, if it would please the court, and the court is you guys. Uh, <laughs> yes, so it starts in the Age of Myth, which is the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Did any stories from back then catch your eye uh, for you folks that you, you know you wanted to talk about back then? Um, I really liked Prince of the Draconith uh, talking about Karazai. Because when the Stormcast Battle Tome came out, we were told the Karazai went out and just started hitting things. Or this story leads into the repercussions of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Of like, he's why the Cruel Boys went into hiding because they saw him just hitting things and they were like, mm, nope, uh, we're going to get out of here. Um, and just like goes to show that like the hatred that craig knows brought about has lasted since the age of myth yeah it's very cool i like that one yeah we'll still mine that's oh, fine. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. no it's good good great minds take a like sir there's this one where it's the story's called beast at bay but it it, it the story is not necessarily the most interesting part to me Grabbing i just my oh, second I, one oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to point the particular thing that I found interesting was that I, I always wondered what about it of the realm of beasts would draw people to like live there. Right. Or why, why would it be a good resource for um, civilization? Because it seems it's very 
anathematic to civilization. Um, but they talk about in this beast at bay how uh, the there's there's a lot of trade that can come out of Gur and that it's a lot of like meat and fish and like that seems so obvious to me now, but it didn't even occur to me um, that like that's one of their main exports, right? Is is the export of food. Um, which you know makes a lot of sense that it, it you know civilized folks can still be hunters, right? They're still um, gathering uh, you know, food or you know prey or however you want to phrase it, um, and that is reason enough to try and tame the wilds of of Gur. And so I, it was an interesting point that I hadn't really thought of before. Um, but uh, Josh, why did you find it interesting? Yeah, the same reason. You know, kind of like a peek into the the life of people who live in Thondia and. and uh, you know what their jobs might be. You know, in these in these outposts that they can they can hunt and survive and and provide you know unique you know meats as well as furs and other other things to other uh, realms. So it was pretty cool, and how they kind of like negotiated through conflict by doing these duels or champion on champion battles rather than all out war. I thought was a, an interesting way to handle uh, conflict in the, in you know, such a savage realm. So what I'm hearing is the answer to the perpetual question of where are the farmers? There were no farmers. They just all got food from the realm of Gur. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, Yeah, it's like hunter-gatherers, but just hunters, really, Mm -hmm. in in Gur. Um, I really like the predator and prey story. Uh, Just It was a little thing, and like it doesn't have that much to it. But I love the idea that that says evidence of the struggles of humans in Gur remain in the cave paintings and carvings they left behind, many of which depict the wars of the monsters in their midst. Mm-hmm. That just seemed really like a, like completely useless, but like super fun little narrative idea that like you could live in a cave or, you know, with cave paintings and stuff like that. It, it just adds a lot of depth to the history. And I enjoy stories like that. Yeah. yeah especially if you think about, you know, like Gorkamorka tromping around at that time, slaying giant god beasts and stuff. Yeah. No, I'd be in a cave too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yumnog and all that. So Right. Exactly. So uh, I know I already took one. I shouldn't use another one. Um, there's this other the other story, um, the, the Pantheon Broken. I, I, I want to bring that up because uh, I love when we find out, um, you know, stories or like motivations or reasons why each of the like the realms fell to chaos. Right. So we, we know as the audience that uh, the, uh, the age of chaos is on its way. Right. The age of myth can't last forever. And so it's it's it always, it's always fun to dive into the unique reasons why each of the mortal realms like fall. Um, in that the in Hish, uh, it was it was the whole uh, what's it called the Okari Dari of the Lumineth, um, like that that you know the spirefall of the Lumineth. Um, right. I've, I I never really understood specifically why Gur fell to chaos or what what the cause was there, uh, but it talks about it here in that. Um, they had this pantheon of gods in the age of myth. We've talked about that before at different um, times. Gorkamorka was part of that pantheon at one point. Um, it says here that no one knows exactly why Gorkamorka snapped, but he ends up giving up on the pantheon. It says, screw all this and let's lose his greenskins, um, who then you know go on a, a, a terror uh, in the realm of Gur. Uh, and, and you know elsewhere everywhere probably um mm-hmm. and so because of this it's all the all the harder to survive um for you know non green skin um uh, you know, civilized uh, cultures in Gur. Um, and they do what they can to survive. Um, but they have to, some of them have to, uh, I don't know, give in, um, to what do they call it here? They call it, uh, cults of blood and slaughter, um, in these sort of prehistoric tribes and you could consider them, um, just to, just to survive. So, um, them falling to corn, which makes sense. He seems the chaos God to most align with like the ethos of Gur. Uh, they have to, um, 
give, or, you know, uh, they have to turn to corn to help try and save them from these, you know, rampaging, you know, orcs across the landscape because they, he seems like that's the only way that they can stand up to these forces. And so uh, I thought that was interesting. That's a very gurish way to um, fall to chaos. And so add that to the list. Anybody have anything else to add before we, before we shift ages? No. Simple thing. No. Nope. Right? Easy to do. All right. So let's talk about the age of chaos. So yeah, did, uh, any, any stories here that uh, might have grabbed you? What, is, what does chaos look, uh, what does the age of chaos look like in Gur and in Thandia? Yeah, it's a pretty short section. Uh, yeah. You know, you know uh-huh. corn floods the area, you know, demons, of course. But, you know, it does include a little bit of the tidbits about um, Indrasta and, you know, and, and the, the demon uh, lord that she fights against, Doombreed. And how, uh, you know, another, another section of this book, they talk about how Doombreed's reputation s- still lies in the memory of many of the cultures in Gur. But, uh, but yeah, so it kind of talks about Indrasta and how she was a warrior queen and many of the different uh, stormcast or, or um, civilizations that, that survived through uh, chaos uh, remember her, which is kind of cool to read about. Yeah, agreed. I feel like it's the age of chaos uh, can be is summed up in such a way <laughs> that the human civilizations are like the civilizations of order. Um, it's it's a matter of running, a matter of hiding, a matter of trying to avoid chaos as best you can because like the the, the landscape was already pretty um pretty feral and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, savage and now now it's just been you know ramped up to eleven. However, it ends up being that the the biggest I don't know I'm gonna say objectors that's not a <laughs> the biggest quote unquote defense though I can't imagine ever playing defense uh, to chaos is going to be those forces of destruction right. Um, it's not so much the forces of order holding the forces of chaos back, but it's it's the orcs and the you know the goblins and the ogres and the gargants. Uh, yep. So it's it's weird it's it's hard to even imagine a destruction force, you know, playing defense, but in some ways, you know, a good offense is the best defense. And that's, um, both, you know, these very aggressive, um, factions going head to head in Gur because that's Gur wouldn't have it any other way. Um, right. So that yep. seems to be a theme that we see a lot of in these stories in the age of chaos. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting to me because for like most every other faction, the age of chaos is like the history of the realm or the history of the faction and it helps shape who they are. But to your point, Aaron, like for Gur, it's mostly destruction. And to them, the Age of Chaos was just a big fight. Like it, nothing really changed for them uh, during this uh, age that kind of ruined everyone else. Yeah, right. Like they, I would, I would imagine they, they th- thrived. Is that the word? Throve? Thrived? Thrived. Thrived. Uh, in this, thriven? Uh, thriven. Thrived. Thriven. 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 They were thriven in, in this in this time frame, which uh, I think we might have touched on a little bit in the uh, Orc Warclans battle tone, but like it, we, we see it here too. Yep. Um, and then it's also around this time, I think, that uh, Gordrak uh, emerges as well. Um, I thought that was interesting because uh, I was trying to place that in perspective in terms of, okay, the beginning of Age of Sigmar, they mentioned Gordrak you know, to the current timeline. How many years is that? Is he really that long lived? I suppose, right? Like, I know they have a hard is that time. like hundreds of years? Could, could be. Are uh, greenskins the sort of thing where they just, they just live and they grow and, until someone kills them? Like, is that, I don't know. They can't be, are they immortal? Is that what it is? I, I don't know. That's what I was wondering. I know in 40K, they kind of like keep getting bigger as they fight. But, you know, in terms of AOS, I don't know what it was. But I was like, wow. Was, you know, if he was out at the beginning of the age of Sigmar, he's got to be pretty old. Yep. His model was one of the first armies. It was in one of the first armies, right? Because it was Iron Jaws. 
Yeah. And so because his model was released so early on, at this point, functionally, if he's still a character in the story, he's hundreds of years old. You're absolutely correct. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any other like named characters that should have died by now that are not. Like I mean we've got our god characters and like our supernatural characters. Um well, Stormcast are immortal and yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, so there's that. Um I guess that's more of an aside. We'll think about that. Um I mean the 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 Dwarden, I was just reading the White Dwarf for KO today mm-hmm. and one of them talks about how he remembers when they lived on the ground. Hmm. So he's gonna be super old, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he he was part of the Kazalit kingdom before they ascended into the sky, and he still remembers what it was like to live in the realm of metal. Do you so remember? That's you know, like thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. Well, dwarves and elves definitely long lived, but that's that is pretty cool. Sure. Yeah. Actually, and we were talking about Kale before, but what's that guy with the like the, the main named guy? How old is that dude? And he's gonna be super old. Bugman. Totally really. Oh no! Um, with the top hat, he's immortal. Uh, and, yeah, the, the mustache, the mustache guns, uh, and Baraknar. You know the the, the Lord Magnet, uh, the High Magnet. Yeah, the Lord yeah. Magnet. Yeah, it's gonna be very old. Anyways, um, so, oh. I say I just had a weird theory. Wait, um, Semi related. The reason why they didn't bring Felix back and go tricking Felix is because Felix would have then died of old age. So mm-hmm. they had to replace him with Stormcast and Elves. Sure, true. Yep, yep. That's fair. The only the only thing that Gotrick can't punch or axe is uh the I don't know, time Hi. marching ever onward. <laughs> Dear friend. If you if you're really yearning for a bard in Age of Sigmar, you should read what is that? Uh Laukavai, Um that is next on my list. I hear it's good. Um, yeah, it's really good. And there's a central character who is a bard. Um, nice. I, he's not Felix by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, of course. But yeah, so I I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, it's also set in Gur in a, in a free city called the Colonnade. So there's a lot of Gurry feeling to it as well. <laughs> Guys, it's Gur like like an animal. Gur. Yes. Yeah. What 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 genius? So clever. <laughs> Anyways, um, all right. Let's move on, on over to the Age of Sigmar. Now, a lot of this is um, they they didn't stretch uh, with some of the stories that they included here. A lot of this is the the big the big beats that we've seen since Age of Sigmar is released. But maybe maybe there were some tidbits that you guys found interesting in this in this here age. Uh, did anything jump out at you folks um, in the Age of Sigmar? Yeah, there was a, a couple things um, that grabbed my interest. You know, the, the stomping. You know, I had read in a couple places where the the denizens of Gur, at least the the oryx and ogres and stuff, kind of felt this like thumping noise, this kind of pounding in their headaches. It's like the heartbeat of Gur, which I thought was interesting. You know, it was kind of alluded to before, but I didn't quite understand what it was until kind of reading this section here that they were hearing this primal awakening of the realm, which was kind of cool. If you want to um, hear more about the primal awakening of the realm, you should read Karagnos. Okay. Yes. No, I keep hearing that's really good. You guys did the review. I have not read that yet, so I, I got to do that. Um, the other section I thought was really cool was the earthquake god returns. And it's mainly because the last sentence, <gasps> only the narrowest margin in the city saved Excelsis. So those skirmishes still rage daily amongst the rubble. 
And it's because we set our narrative war cry event in Excelsis. I was like, perfect. Right. Yeah, right. They confirm exactly why we said it there. Right. <laughs> Good point. It didn't even occur to me while I was reading it. But yeah, no, you were, you were justified. <laughs> Validated, baby. Innovation. You might also want to read Hallowed Ground before your narrative event, though, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like literally just throwing <laughs> black library books on you. But like that's one of the coolest things about this book is it it because it is literally now in the timeline and we've got two black library books that are specifically here. Like you're just reading through this and like that was all I was reminded of. Like, oh, that reminds me of this part in the book that I just read about Kragnos. Oh, that reminds me of this part of the book I just read called Hallowed Ground, right? Like mm -hmm. it is – it's super fun to have a book that ties into things that I just read that just got released. Like, yeah, <laughs> super current. And we've never had that before. That's yeah. super engaging yeah, to me. I agree. Um, anybody else have any other stories that they want to chat about? Or, or Josh, yeah. if you have more, by all means, let me know. No, no. That, that was my two. Thank you. Cool. He didn't take one of mine. <laughs> that boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about the Battle of Amberstone Watch. We, we had talked about it earlier but this is the the battle that took place in the dominion box set and what i love is like this one paragraph of lore quite literally changes the face of gur and changes the face of thandia uh -huh. uh, because the cruel boys create an area of drowned lands and so if you look at a map of thandia before like that takes place before the dominion box set it will look different than the map that exists in this book because the realms are changing because of battles like this. Yeah. This is one That's of my cool. favorite maps we've seen so far, even though all the maps are cool. Like this, this map is awesome. Yeah. Um, it is neat. I never actually, well, I don't need to get into it. Um, so on the <laughs> map, is it, is it, the, is it where the Moric Hills are? Where is the drowned lands? It, it doesn't really show it on the map, but yeah, the Moric Hills and Emberstone Watch areas where that those battles take place. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So not as far down as Carcass Downs, right? No, no, it's not no, far no. south. It's like just above the Carcass Downs. You can almost like see like the greenish arrow path of it. Okay, cool, very neat. Um, well, what I was gonna say is I never actually read Emberstone Watch because <laughs> I didn't think yeah. it was gonna mean anything, right? Is I thought that, that was just gonna yeah. be the end of it. But now reading this book, it, it, it's almost a necessity for me. I mean, not for most people, but um, <laughs> so I do have to go back and, and, and thumb through it. They're not particularly long. Yeah, yeah. Haven and I played through the the Warcry campaign for yeah. this for Dominion, so that was perfect. It was like, oh, we got the same characters. We know exactly what's happened. It was it was a lot of fun. Or great oh, preparation. I forgot they did that. That's true. Did they, is it the same named people? Like even that are in yeah. this story too oh that's yep. great um man i'm really missing out i need to go back <laughs> yeah those little books that come in the battle boxes have now become super important right like yeah, so the right? one yeah. that was in the the deepkin and daughters one right like who knows what's going to come out of there yeah no like if anything up until right? this point i've been ignoring them because i haven't assumed that not ignoring them but like I, I don't like, put as yeah. much time on them as i would like to uh but now i'm now they tricked me gw's get, got me over the barrel um, <laughs> <laughs> it was when they released the daughters of cain and the the slanesh one and then they published that story in the little paragraph that i went oh they're actually paying attention to these now they're not just doing little starter sets uh, very neat, very cool. Um, all right, any other stories in the age of Smig Sigmar that <laughs> Smigmar, uh, Sigmar that you <laughs> just want to talk about? Smigmar, <laughs> you're talking about. 
Um, all right, because the last one, I, I feel like whenever I get these timelines, especially with uh, with the battle tomes, I always go flip, flip, flip to the very, very last entry in the <laughs> in the timeline because if there is going to be a hint about the future, it's going to be in that last one. Um, it's not so much a hint, but they, they talk about the era of the beast, right? So this is new era that we're in, um, and it just mentions that. Um, through uh through i guess the awakening of the realms or the awakening of of gur specifically um outposts in gur are reporting that uh their residents are becoming more feral right and we've already learned through different um settings and you know uh information about the mortal realms that the people who live in gur to begin with are already um a little uh, savage is one one way to just describe them, I suppose, but they are not, not even just in their behavior, but in their appearance, like folks are starting to become more feral. Uh, and so that's one part of it. But then additionally, it mentions that those storm casts from the Morak Hills and from the Dominion box set, uh, it wasn't enough to have, I guess, quote unquote, stopped the Oryx, the cruel boys from, you know, whatever their dastardly plans uh, were. Um, but they are now actually hunting those um, same Oryx across the landscape, um, trying to, I don't know, bring them to Sigmar's justice or however you want to phrase it. Um, so that's the clue right in this in this timeline, in this history, that that story's not done yet. Like, there's more to come. And fortunately, it's in this very book. So, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was at this point, well, I'll ask, is there any other Age of Sigmar stories that folks want to talk about? I mean, yes, but none of them that are listed in this part right now. <laughs> uh, it was at this point, it seemed appropriate to ask a question from, there's this, there's this severed guy, and I'm not going to make a dumb joke. I'm just going to say from, from Will, before I know Will was going to be on the episode, he yeah. was asking, uh, what a great opportunity to ask this question. Hey, Will, you're here, uh, patron and host of the show. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. Do you want to ask the question? Yeah, sure. I highlighted it thinking we were just going to delete it, but yeah, I'll ask it. No, it's pertinent. Uh, uh, what's your favorite change to the setting post Kragnos? Um, all right. Does anybody have any answers that, that come to mind initially? Uh, that, w- that won't spoil the rest of the uh, the podcast? Uh, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Good point. We'll yeah, come back to it. Yeah, we can definitely we'll, go back to it. We'll plant the seed for the audience. To think. There you go. Perfect. The <laughs> tree I, the, I mean, the drowned lands doesn't spoil the rest of that. That seems, yeah, cool. seems neat. I mean, that was my answer. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can't answer, answer my own questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I just note that this is the first time that, as Aaron always says, you just need to wait around in the Discord server all day, every day, until he goes up and asks questions, right? Like Will did. And yeah. then... Maybe after doing that for years, that maybe if you're still waiting around and waiting for Aaron to show up every day, you might be asked to be on the podcast too. And then you might get to ask your own question. Like this is a new change. How awesome things can work out. You you too. Yeah. If you live in Madison and you bother Aaron all the time, still put you on the show. I feel like I bother you more than you bother me. Um. There is a section called the Realm of Beasts just before this that I thought was really cool. All right. Tell me about it. Yeah. So the main thing in this section that kind of caught my interest was it talks about these uh, realm cartographers and, and what their roles are. And I thought that was super interesting because, it, you know, it talks about being an ancient art and how people, um, you know, pay them a lot or promise them a lot to help guide them to where they should settle. But uh, it talks about a lot of them tend to be monastic orders, you know, where they're trained to observe the surroundings and commit each rise of land, increase the coast of memory so they can make the maps later. 
And 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 one of the the group's names is absolutely hilarious. The Lords Audacious of the Free Cities. Yeah, it's, just, it's like great. Yeah, that's that's a hilarious name. You're you're not humble at all. No, um, no. You know, they're plotting crusade routes and discerning where valuable natural resources may lie. But you know, it's kind of neat to get this. You know, because the realms are changing, especially Gur, where the you know the continents are always shifting and trying to eat each other. That you know they have this groups of individuals who, you know, are their jobs are to try to, you know, figure out where everything is and where it's changing. And it even goes on to say, you know, well, you know, while they have a current map, it, it will be changing the next, you know, several years or so. So things may not be accurate anymore. So it's, it's just kind of a fun picture and time snapshot. This is my KO Skyport likes to to do a little cartography too. It was kind of a fun peak of interest for me. It's going to be yet another. If you like Realmscape cartography, you should read Laukavai <laughs> because one of the characters in there is actually a Realmscaped cartographer from oh, Gur. Wow. <clears throat> Which book? Which book? In Laukavai. Um, um, Dynasty of Monsters. Yeah, here you go, Dynasty of Monsters. Yeah. <laughs> My, yes, this is my favorite thing about this book. Everything ties in, and it feels like that's in there because Laukavai was made, and so we should put a little thing in there about this character that they invented for that, and that's cool. We should include it, right? This well, is what was the chicken and the egg, or is it vice versa? Um, well, it, who knows? But like, it's the integration of the two, right? We for a long time, Black Library is this completely independent thing, and we've we started to see some little things integrated, and now we're getting them super integrated together, and it it, it, mm-hmm. it I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Do you have this book too? I don't have this book. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it somewhere. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, interesting you talk about the Lords Audacious because that kind of reminds me, Josh, of the Trade Pioneers, which if I remember correctly, you you played a little bit of the Trade Pioneer in Soulbound. I know it's not exactly the same thing, but it feels like it has the same vibe a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Which I thought yeah. was uh, cool. Mm-hmm. So that's where my mind goes. Um, um, any other thoughts about this, the Realm of Beast sections, the maps that we're seeing here? We were talking about maps a little bit of a little bit ago. Uh, any of that um, stuff jump at you guys? I was just going to say, I thought it was interesting they attributed um, characters to the continents. You know, they talk about like Rondel being aggression and the megafauna and, and being bullish, you know, so they, mm. they actually give personality to the continents, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Have we seen that before? I don't remember seeing that. I can't say that's never been done, but I don't remember just those. Yeah. You know? They've, they've mentioned like the continents have personalities, but this is the first time they say what the personalities for each continent is nice mm-hmm. okay very yeah. cool um the other thing i love about this map is i feel like these arrows that they've put on there are like <laughs> reading a battle report of what has happened so far in 3.0 mm-hmm. yeah because of where they have the arrows and what's actually happening so yep. Yep. that's super engaging to me and so like there's an arrow from the bottom of antor up into the carcass dance, right? And that's the book Kragnos. Like that arrow right there is the book Kragnos. And then you have an arrow from the carcass dance to Excelsis, and that's Broken Realms Kragnos, mm-hmm. right? Like all these yep. arrows are specific stories that at this point we know. And that's awesome. <laughs> and it's impossible to talk about this map without talking about the huge tear that has been created as you see, Kragnos literally tore the realm apart on his march to Excelsis. Why would he do that? Come on, Kragnos. Um, yeah, it's uh, particularly neat, right? So, like, the, the evolution of that uh, we're seeing this map, I don't know, not in real time, but 
over time at the very least is yeah. uh, is fantastic. Uh, yeah. I remember remember uh, the beginning of Age of Sigma, right? But people were bemoaning the fact that either A, there weren't enough maps, or B, the maps that we had weren't right. particularly good. Um, I, th- I think they, of, of the many things that they took to heart as the, through the evolution of Age of Sigmar, their mapping has, they really took those uh, complaints to heart and have know, delivered, I think, uh, completely on um, what, what people want to, what, what they want to see in their maps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, even just the character of this, you know, realm, you know, with all the spiky claws and teeth and whatever, you know, it's just amazing. It's yeah. great. So, yeah. Will, I, I want you to mention your little discovery. So... Yeah. It's actually not as cool of a discovery as I thought it was. Right. But like Probably we, the we, that. <laughs> like we have the crown spine range. Uh and then at the very tippity top, or I guess the bottom on the map, there's the crown skull. Like there's the actual skull of it there. So when we get to the story and we talk about what the crown spine incarnate is. It it literally looks like the area of Gur. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, mean, I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean? It looks like the area of Gur. So, like, if you if you're looking at the map, like you've got the skull and it wraps around, mm-hmm. and the model for the incarnate is the same skull, similar, yeah, and it wraps so like, around in the same way. I see. Like I the Kron skull is the base of the tail, and you follow the mountain range around to the skull. Yeah. It looks like one of the incarnates. Oh, okay. Or gotcha, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. in reverse, the Kron skull is the skull of the incarnate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I had it the other way, where the lake was the skull of the incarnate. Lake oh, yeah, because the, the skull looks like a lake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or lake looks like a skull, but it doesn't. The Kron skull. The Kron skull literally has a skull, though, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be either way. Yep, yep, it sure does. Yep, which could forwards be the backwards, skull. backwards and forwards. It's yeah. a or yeah. boros. Um, it's just yet another way that they're hiding cool things in the maps. But then the stone nautilor makes me wonder what that is because that just looks like a massive snail. It looks like a giant shell. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder what that. Could and of course, I love the footprints of Gorkamarka. That's always yeah. been fun. Yeah. Um, right on. Well, we're we're talking about landmarks on this map. Um, maybe we put a pin in that Beast Awakens section and like let's talk about so that it does spend some time highlighting landmarks here in Thandia. And uh, it sounds like we're already touching on some of our favorites that we're seeing on the map. Um, did you guys have any favorites in the in the description that you wanted to chat about, or in the in, not in the description in the I don't know in the body of the the deep dive into uh, Thandia that you guys wanted to, uh, share with the uh, listeners. Um, you know, I'll just mention the drowned lands again. Uh, I think it was a really cool, um, origin story, you know, cause you know, having read the dominion box, having played those scenarios and then having this actual swampy, massive land be there due to that and affecting the game, you know, in the map forevermore was really cool and that was kind of a neat thing to see them add i didn't realize they were going to do that so it was kind of cool and hold up forevermore let's see if you know sigmar <laughs> has something to say about it i mean maybe maybe we can we can do some cleanup after the fact uh, <laughs> no. uh before we get too far away we were just talking about the crown spine range i, I feel like maybe I sh- we should talk about it now while, while it's still fresh um so uh listeners who can't actually see the map there's this cur- curling uh range of mountains and it's um it, it, it emulates, or maybe was literally this uh, this god beast that existed in in Thandia called Krond, who it was described as a mixture of a wolf and a serpent, which is a brand new mm-hmm. thing that I've never heard of before. It, the, the, I can't even imagine what that might look like. Well, I can because it had like a wolf head that looks like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's this mountain range. Um, there were uh, tribes of of humans who were fleeing chaos. We were talking about that a little bit before in the Age of Chaos, um, and they flee. Fl- fled up into this mountain range to, you know, escape 
escape chaos. Um, but in doing so, chaos sort of pursued them up into the mountains, um, killed a lot of people, and thus uh, left this mountain range also haunted. And it's it's now crawling with undead as well. And I thought, oh man, this mountain range is got a lot of themes going on it's 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 it's, it's, it's there's a lot of moving parts to this cron spined range you've got mm-hmm. uh humans uh tri- tribal humans fleeing fleeing chaos int- the introduction of undead like who's in control like it's uh, really all over the place um but Great in chance. some ways i think it makes it particularly neat in that all these different i don't know it's not even necessarily warring factions but uh the the realm of beasts caters to all all types of savagery, regardless of who you are and you know what gods you serve. And so mm-hmm. it seemed to me that the Cronspine Range was emblematic of that. Um, and it'll maybe become important a little bit later when we talk more about uh, what what Gur has to say about the happenings in the mortal realms. But we'll get there. Uh, yeah. Any other landmarks? Which is the word I couldn't remember before. <laughs> want to talk about. Yeah, um, I want to talk about the Carcass Dons, unless that's also stealing from Josh. No, no, go for okay, it. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so the Carcass Dons is where Kragnos is originally from, and it highlights the fact that all of Gur is predatory to the fact that Fondia itself essentially ate this other continent, which is something we had technically, technically known about from like other books But here it's showing that people are still living there. People are still fighting. They're fighting over the relics of like Kragnos' former empire. And it just leaves us with that last little tidbit of perhaps Don's is not as dead as we had once thought. And I just want to see if anything happens from that. Mm -hmm. Very well could, no doubt. Especially since it seems to have more of these, um, the Kronspine. Incarnates. Yes, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Apparently, it has more Kronstein spine incarnates than anywhere else. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Paul, did you have a, a landmark or, or region yes. that you wanted to chat about? Crawling pits of Grantia. Yeah, of I was going to pick that one, but I'm, like, I'm not going to. So Paul wants. Yeah, yeah. That's why I left the jungles for Phil too. Yeah, I was just going to say that. that we had the same thought. Those are the two things I was leaving alone. Yeah. I, it, it's basically just this massive canyon haunted by spider fang, um, which of course I love anyway. But now. Uh, Gordrak has gone there and he's managed to contain a god beast within the webbing. Mm-hmm. So now he's created a permanent way to get into um, the eight points. And apparently has, uh, as of the latest White Dwarf, also has made a beachhead in the eight points and is sending out Iron Jaws to go and like mess up stuff. So, <laughs> just messing it up. Yeah. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> he doesn't love a bunch of orcs just running crazy, messing stuff up. I don't want to meet the person who doesn't love it. Um, I love the parallels that uh, destruction is getting to um, what death has done already, right? Like, so sure. uh, Nagash yeah. with the Bone Reapers has secured his beachhead into the um, the eight points. Uh, and in the same way, um, uh, Gordrak with you know the Iron Jaws has, has done the same. And, and similarly, how there was the Necroquake, leading to you know realm reaching effects in the world and now there's this admittedly life quake but like then it seems to be waking up the realm of beasts and so there's a lot of parallels you can kind of see that they're i don't want to say repeating because that has maybe a negative connotation but they're they're um uh second verse theme is the first kind of situation <laughs> um which which i'm all for I'm, i love patterns i love uh seeing uh things like this 
uh, play out in different realms and seeing how the different realms sort of react to these um, larger events. So I think I think this is very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, the only other section I was going to mention is is related to a a question by Thundercake. Tell me the lore relating to the cities in it. Um, And the book goes through the three main cities that we're aware of. Uh, Excelsis, of course, which is the the largest of the cities and has the Spear of Malice next to it, where they mine prophecies. Uh, they do mention two other cities, Bilgeport, which is uh, essentially a pirate um, city, you know, so it's not regulated by any sort of uh, normal authority. But the pirates are um, hired to do a lot of the work for Excelsis, and um, so they don't, they're, they're left kind of alone. In uh, Isaland, which is a, a fun you know, port that's, you know, which was interesting because on this map, it's not on the coast, which I thought it was on the coast because there's supposed to be mm-hmm. a port there. So maybe they just kind of moved the knot over a bit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but, it's in like a deep, it's in like a deep cove. Um, right, right I've but it's not, it it's nowhere near the coast in this, in this picture, particular <laughs> you, picture. You can almost um, see like where it should be, like there's a circle <laughs> where it should be. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. That's what I think, you know, when the ice fangs, it should be like in that little cove there, but it's not. Um, but yeah, but it's interesting because it's a city that has what they call the Everflame, this magical flame around it that helps keep things away, but also keeps the city warmer than the land around it. And uh, and they do a lot of trading in terms of you know Arctic animals and other things like that. And and Isaland and the Bilgeport took um, were, were featured in some of the the Black Library books, which is you know kind of fun to read about. I can't remember the name of yeah. So those are in the in the uh, Horthaverse, as I affectionately call them books. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so I think Silver it Shard. was yeah Silver Shard. And it might have yeah, just been yeah. only that one, perhaps. No, no, it was the standalone one with the with the pirate elf. Uh, I can't remember her name though. Oh, did she oh. go back there in uh, Heart of Winter? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yeah, okay. she's in Bilgeport and in in Isolante. Yep. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So uh, I imagine those got brought through because uh, Nick Horse was writing about them in his Black Library stories. So it's it's again great to see those uh, yet again in the um, in a different. Know, context, right? Not just in the Black Library side, as Paul was saying, but on the studio side too. So, Thundercake, that sort of answers your question. I don't know that it goes yeah. too much more anymore. There's, I don't know there's too much more city lore in the nope. book, but maybe we'll find some more as we dig through. We'll see what else there is. Um, all right, cool. Any other uh, landmarks that you folks want to chat about? Because maybe I'll ask some more listener questions. We, we, we've uh, we've broken the seal, so to speak. Um, now let's, let's keep them coming. Um, I got a question from a new patron. In fact, just earlier today, in fact, uh, Dog Tired, they ask, is this is this more effective at doing actual world building and making Thandia into a place where real people live? I thought this was a good time to ask it, right? We're talking about the place. We're talking about the setting. Um, is mm-hmm. it doing a good job of making it into a place where real people live? What do you guys think? Um, I think the book overall, yeah. Yeah, and no, I think, um, you know, especially as you get through some of the stories, um, and they, how they describe at least these three particular cities and specifically where a lot of them tend to be along the coasts, but, uh, later they do talk about a lot of the dawn, uh, crusades, you know, and, and establishing outposts and, and what those kind of look like. So yeah, I definitely think it's interesting to see you know, how people could live there and why. Uh, agreed. Like even before we get into like the, the main story proper, We've already talked about the the hunters and gatherers, the the people who lived in caves, the realm cartographers, and like all the different ways people can live in this area. Yeah, agreed. Paul, what do you think? Um, I think the Black Library books, to me, really solidify the setting better 
than this book just because they're so much longer and they give you a, a person view, right? Whereas we're getting kind of like an omniscient view when we're, we're reading this battle tome. And so for me, like those do a lot of the world building. This does a lot of world building too, but because those are already there, as, as you heard me talk about, I'm pulling out stuff from the books that this book is reiterating. Um, so it is effective at doing actual world building, but for me, because I've read these other books, it's also pulling in those. And so it's adding even more depth in addition to what I've already read in Black Library, because it's pulling those out all together and making them exist in the same place. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and that's, yeah, again, it's one of my favorite things about this book is that it does draw everything in and it connects everything because we do have this connection between Black Library and the studio now. So I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it, it to me, it's a really big deal. We just haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like world confirming in some ways, right? It's not yeah, world right. building per se. The world was is being built in a bunch of different places, and this is confirming and you know evolving what we may have seen um, mm-hmm. elsewhere, which is nice. I think we have more world building as we get into like the actual meat of the story. So far, mm-hmm. we've like we've gotten into like this is what this is, but we're, when we actually get into the, the story itself, we're going to have some some good world building in there for sure. Interesting. I'm surprised, and I, I might cut this out. I'm surprised. I'm getting that impression from most of you. Like all you, you, you've you've all said in in different ways that it's it's more of the world building was coming later. For some reason, I felt like this was more the the world building uh, section of the book. But it sounds like you guys were getting a lot of world building down the line, which I'm interested to you know hear your reactions to the you know story proper. So, anyways, that's just Aaron's aside. Uh, yeah, a a, re- <laughs> a related question, um, I think, uh, comes from Kelborn. Um, and they ask, uh, is Thandia, no, not Thandia, is Thandia a good base um, due to it having a bestiary and so on? Uh, to start fleshing out your own niche of Gur, for example, for a homebrew free city or an entire new minor faction within the realm. Um, so I'm not the homebrew guy. So I'll ask the homebrew people here. Um, do, does, this insp- does this give you a foundation to build off of for your own type of homebrew stuff that you know may, may be mulling around in your noggin? Um, what, do you, what do you think about that? How does this relate to the the homebrew side of your brain i will say yes in the sense that like i un- unfortunately haven't had to do much different like as josh mentioned earlier there's a hungering step campaign that i am running or at this point have run online and i have this vision of all these cool things i wanted to do in gur and this book like made all of those things real mm-hmm. so in the sense like everything i thought i was homebrewing turns out Phil Kelly is a mind reader and <laughs> it is Gurish lore. Um, so the the creativity that you can come up with in the land of beasts is certainly there. And this book, like Kelborn mentions, the, uh, the bestiary just expands on that. Yeah. To add on to that, anytime you have a really good map, to me, that makes it real fun to be able to make a homebrew free city or something like that. Because you can see where everything is. But you can also see where everything isn't. And especially because we have these breakouts of like the Gnarlwood. What is the Gnarlwood? The Crawling Pits of Grantia. What is that, right? You get identities of different physical places. And you can kind of place your city near that. And then you have an, an immediate thing to fight against, right? Or thing that defines how this culture has evolved. And that's, yeah, yeah that's cool. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I to go even deeper into that, I think the fact that they give certain continents or not really continents, regions of GER personalities, you know, totally could feed into, oh, okay, I live in this area of GER. How does it usually behave? I can design my city around that as well. And I think the fact that, you know, the the recent right dwarfs have come out with campaigns and rules and sets for Warcry in GUR. And then we've got the Path of Glory system in here that talk about outposts and other really interesting things about GUR. I think there's a lot of information recently to kind of help you frame all sorts of really in-depth information for establishing, you know, your your army, your outpost, your free city in, in GUR. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what Paul was saying before reminded me that a, a, good, a good map is kind of like it's kind of like jazz. It's all about the landmarks you don't place on it. Yep. Right. <laughs> Wrap your minds around that, guys. All right. So um, there's some questions <laughs> or there's some listener questions. We talked about some landmarks we that we really enjoyed. Um, is there any more stuff we want to talk about um, on sort of the setting side or like the the deep dive into Thondia that you guys want to chat about before we dive into the story, which is more of sort of the second half of the the lore in this here book? Um, maybe just mention that that they do talk about the jungles of Mekitspar. Okay, you can pretend to be Phil here. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I mainly bring it up because you know throughout the book they also talk about certain types of creatures which tend to be you know dinosaurs, of course, carnosaurs, etc., that live in this region, and this is where a lot of the seraphon are, and uh, a lot of the unique. Uh, creatures and fauna live in this particular area. It's kind of referenced a few times throughout the book. So just wanted to make sure people were aware. It's a very highly populated jungle of more feral type seraphon. Hey, hey Josh, if if you want to know more about the jungles <laughs> of Megatzafar, you should read Kragnos because there's a free city in there as well. Really? Yes. I did, oh, I did not know that. Well, shoot, that should go back to Thundercase's question then. Sure. Oh, yeah, the city of a car. Yep. Um, well, huh? I mean, <laughs> like, I could say uh, more, but I don't want to spoil Craig yeah. Nose. No, no, no. no. I, I got to read this book. I got to read this book. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> cut this out. Cut this out. There's no reason to think that it doesn't exist after Craig. Like, it could, it can be read. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but, so, we, so we figure out that, like, a city isn't necessarily always a place, but it's it's the people. It's the people. It's the, yeah, it's yeah. the hearts <laughs> hearts and minds that you know, populated. <laughs> Unless they were also trampled. Yeah, like <laughs> it's the, the joke from uh, Thor Ragnarok, like the foundations are sturdy. Right. And then Craig no stamples the foundations. Well. Right. Right. <laughs> too true. All right. Uh, I thought, I honestly thought Paul was going to say La Cavaille again. No. <laughs> like this book has everything. No. That book? Well, I, think, I feel like I, I like just read those three anyway. books in the last month. Like, right, it's super fresh <laughs> in my mind, and that's all like, right. Literally, that that's probably why it's not world building as much to me because I literally read in great detail chapters and chapters about all of these different places. So, sure, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, folks, let's hop into the story part of this here book, um, which is nice, right? It's a, I mean, it's kind of a campaign book. It's kind of like a setting. Um, what do they call them in D D D and D? Like a Source like book. A setting book. It was a setting book, or like a setting book, yeah, source book. Um, but there's, there's, they, they, they uh, went to the trouble of including a nice little, tidy little story in here as well um, that we can follow along with. So, um, I'll ask: Does anybody want to kick us off? Or does someone want to intro uh, what we're reading about here and uh, how the story starts? First come, first serve. Um, so, functionally, when we talked about directly after Dominion, 
this is exactly what we're talking about. Um, the story takes place immediately after Amazon Watch, and the first words in the actual proper text are Amber Stone Watch would never fully heal, right? And then it talks about the Lord Imperitant of the Harems of Sigmar, and it kind of follows them through the story of dealing with like this new threat and the, that the realms are poisoned now, um, but it wasn't completely successful. So like it, it gives you a recap of what happened in Dominion, right? And then starts to move on with like, how do you like, if you're talking about how do you survive, how do people like live in Gur? Like this to me, these first few paragraphs are a great way of like talking about being in Gur and being like, well, it's a great, terrible thing happened. All right, now we move on. Like <laughs> there was not much we could do about it, but it's happening now. And so, how do we deal with the fact that this this thing is happening? Right. Um, and it just adds a little bit more little details like little outposts that oh this one might be a problem this way like which is again goes back to a couple of the other black library stories um that we've read uh and it it just kind of gives us a real i don't know examination of what happened after the battle but also where we are now and how we're moving forward because um functionally what the story does is it takes us from the city um, where Amberstone watch is right. And the events of that, and it takes us off into um, the wilds of Gur, specifically Fondia, because there's something happening and everybody can tell that something's happening. Right. Yeah. And like, to your point of like a, doing a good job of painting the picture of like moving forward from like tragic Tragedy, I almost said tragedy. Combining tragedy and travesty. TM, 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 TM. I did it on purpose. Um, it mentions that like the original settlers of Amberstone Watch are no longer with us, RIP. The people who are there now are from Excelsis, and they're from Excelsis because their homes there were destroyed. It points out that like if you're in Gur and if you're in one of these new Dawnbringer settlements, you're not there because your life is good. You're there because your life in a protected city is bad enough that you're going to go risk it out in the wilds, uh, which I think does a lot of world building for me of like what Gur is really like and how brutal it really is for these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that it's a Dawnbringer crusade that's failed, but they won't <laughs> let it fail. Yeah. Right. Right. Like everybody who was there is wiped out and we'll just find more people. We'll bring them out because, you know, it's not going to be this amazing, fantastic thing, but it's going to survive. And that's the important thing is that something survives. The foundations are sinking, but we will still build on it. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. So um, I guess this, this, this story spends a little bit of time, right. In, in, like we mentioned, spend some time in Amber, Oh God! What Stone is watch. Amber Stone Watch? Because Amber Bone, because I was reading about bone splitters. Um, Amber Stone Watch, um, and it talks about it's, it's their Lord and Parentant, right? Is it, presumably the same guy from the previous stories, um, and he's uh, yep. you know, watching them rebuild and you know re re erect a, a statue. I think of um, of Indrasta, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. 
and a crowd, you know, a roar goes up from the crowd. Everybody's, you know, celebrating this, this icon that they now have, this sort of savior of the Amberstone um, watch. And uh, he's, he's, you know, a little bit despondent just during seeing the destruction, despite, you know, this maybe is a, a could be considered a joyous time. Uh, and he reflects on the idea that, you know, he, he's known Yandrasta for a while and he, he's come to the conclusion that she's changing and she's, I don't know, becoming more reserved and isolated and like, I guess vague is a term that he uses as well um, because they start uh, chatting at some point and she says, Hey, Hey man, Hey buddy. No, she doesn't say it like that, but she, she, <laughs> she calls his attention to the, Hey, we're getting these reports in the region of these strange occurrences out there. I think Paul was mentioning it. Um, we need to do something about this. And he's like, well, what do you, I mean, what are you talking about? Like, what? Are, we don't even know the details. We don't know if there's, you know, a, a common thread. Um, but she's like, no, we have to act now because we're going to regret it if we don't. Uh, so she gives him this vague instruction that we're we're going to go on the hunt again. And he's like, well, I okay, I guess, right? Like, as if you were some sort of sidekick in like a a, a buddy oh, comedy. She's she's his queen. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, not, he's less than a sidekick. He's a he's a servant in some ways, right? This this powerful, important lord imperitant is still at the beck and call of this. Uh, Prime Huntress. Uh, yeah, Prime Huntress, exactly. Yeah. But he says, "All right, fine. We're, I guess we're, uh, I guess we're back at it again." Um, and they, you know, they're putting together a team, which is to say, they're they're assembling what Stormcast forces they still have of their, um, oh, what is their Stormhost? The Lions of something? Or yeah, Orc, orc Lions. Lions. Yeah, Orc and, Lions. Um, there it is. Um, and there's another group there too. I can't remember the name of their their Stormhost. Sure. So they, uh, there's no rest for the wicked. They can't uh, hang back and maybe defend this uh, this settlement but instead they need to go out they need to strike out and there's a new hunt um which i think we maybe we were talking about before and uh, in some ways it's a hunt after these oryx but it's it's more than that they're they're after something uh, i don't know more not devious because devious isn't even the word but um maybe more dangerous um yep. out there yep. so i have a question for you aaron please do so you did a pocket realm story on the book and the short story monsters i did right so Loved would it. you say that happens after Dominion, but before Thondia? Mm, I would maybe even say, I wouldn't be surprised if it was before uh, Dominion or if it is out of a timeline entirely and it has no bearing one way or the other. I don't think she's reserved or like um, uh, isolated in that story per se, Uh or particularly so. And so I, I imagine, it, I think it would happen before this, but it, it, it could just be another author's interpretation of what Indrasta is um, as well. So there, I don't but, know. Short answer. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to hear about that story, <laughs> you listen to those pocket realms. Yeah. Listen to pocket realms monstered by uh, Noah Van Wynn. It was an awesome short story and I highly recommend it. Yeah, um, super good. But it, it kind of explains really well how her character deals with other people. Right. Which is one of the kind of one of the points of this first little section is that she is this like kind of unfeeling um, commander and that something is going on and but she feels a purpose and a need to be able to to perform um what the job is right mm-hmm. so yeah true, true um and then we kind of move on to the next one and the next one we have a complete change of perspective um, when we get to the call of the beast we actually switch to the cruel boys half of the dominion box set um so here we're figuring out that they know that something is happening as well, right? And 
it 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 was just it was great to read these two and have both characters come back and to have this narrative tie in together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, he knows where he's going, right? Like he's like the Kron Spine Range is where we are going, and they meet up with this um, this group of uh, bone splitters. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Josh. You talk about it. Oh no, no, I was just say yeah. They meet up with the, with the bone splitters and then beasts of chaos, which are all drawn by the primal power of Gur to this particular location. You know, they don't necessarily know why. They just know. You know, the heartbeat of Gur, the great stomping, is getting louder and heavier, and it, and it's drawing them to this place. And uh, it, it's hilarious because they start fighting, and then, you know, then the, you know their magical dueling awakens an incarnate of a small power level, and, and it essentially blows up. And then they're like, you know, we're kind of on the same side in this. Uh, how about we work together? <laughs> Which is just such a great moment, right? Because how many times have we had the conversation about I mean, specifically, why aren't beastmen destruction? Or how, how do you determine what when whether something is a chaos thing versus a destruction thing, right? And it's hard mm-hmm. to sometimes justify or wrap your mind around the fact that, like, you've literally got beast men, but they aren't the ones who worship the god of beasts, right? In in right, you know, the moral realms and how you know, again, how, how does that jive? Uh, and in this story, like the two sides. Uh, realize they've got more in common than they don't, uh, and are willing to uh, work together. So it it. I don't know. It it seemed natural, right? It seemed like peanut butter and jelly. They should have been working together this whole time, or as closely together as two factions of things that like to destroy things can, you know, work together. Right, right. I mean, even even two groups of orcs don't necessarily always work together. Um, but this, it it didn't seem unnatural to me. It, it seemed like it worked, um, and maybe that was ideally that was the goal. I suppose of this this part of the story, anyways. Um, how did you guys react to this this joining of two? nominally disparate faction but no i thought it was interesting because they both talk about you know they have different reasons for wanting gur to awaken and um and show civilization you know what it's really like you know so they come from different perspectives but they agree the fact that gur is awakening and they both agree that this is a good thing you know for us you know not so much for our enemies and so at that point they decide you know, we'll work together to ensure that this incarnate does its thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I've read in, in some other books and some other places where it talks about the the effect that, you know, Gur, the primal, you know, um, anger, the feral feralness that can, can affect a lot of the civilized folk have, it, it, while it does have purchase on the the civilizations in Gur, like the Oryx and the Ogres, you know, they can feel it, you know, it generates the wah, makes them more aggressive, but but it doesn't affect them in the same way because they're already more attunely connected to the primal energies of Gur. And I, I thought that was always an interesting, you know, uh, comparison, you know, that they're already, you know, savage and feral, so it doesn't affect them quite the same way. They don't transform into beasts. I just love, like, that we have these characters continuing on. Like, we, we obviously talked about the Dominion box set, mm-hmm. but then we have... Uh, the Beastmen, Bray Shaman, Gorg, and Kai, who briefly appears in the prologue to Broken Realms, Kragnos. He's the dude who couldn't stop the right of life. So it's kind of his fault this all is happening, in a way. Sure, he's right? the, the Manfred of the the life quake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it just shows like we're getting more 
personalities and more characters for a faction that people like hasn't had this for a while in age of sigmar mm-hmm. yeah um yeah was yeah, he also good. in the broken realms uh did like the short story like some of the short I stories think before. So. i think he had his own too I, um, I've been quiet because I've been trying to figure that out. <laughs> it's Broken Realms, the Turnskin's Tale. So it's one he he tells a story to somebody. Like it's it's from his perspective, if I remember correctly. And he talks yeah. about how like he be, I think he became a beast man. He wasn't born that way. Um yep. but he also talks about how, and it's not spoilers because we're talking about the story here, uh, that he is in the service of the Shadow Gave. Um mm-hmm. who I don't know enough about old school lore, but that's this he's this is a thing. This is something that's existed before these stories here if i remember correctly and that yep. it's a stand-in for their beast man god or i mean if somebody who knows yeah, more about Morgul. it can bring it up yeah. yeah 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 it's like from the world that was the same same god i believe is yeah. the beast man well, he wants dissolution of everything everything to be destroyed yeah in the well he world. wasn't a god in the old world yep. he was a he was a leader okay yeah sweet okay. model that's yeah awesome. and he, for those of you that play the Total War Warhammer games, he's one of like the legendary lords you can play as. Oh, cool! Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, I just know enough to recognize the name and not really know anything about him. But yep. so I'm glad it. I know I know it bugs some people when they bring too many old world stuff, and honestly, sometimes it bugs me. But um, I'm for it here. Honestly, the Beastmen can yep. get as much love as as they can. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to throw it whatever love they need. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> by all means, bring in their interesting characters that they may have. All right, neat. Um, so uh, orcs and beastmen, dogs and cats working together um, as they make their way towards the the. Or I mean, they they dive not dive. Uh, they climb further into the Kronspire, uh range um, where they know that something something's afoot, and they're going to figure out what they're drawn to it, sort of supernaturally. Um, all right, I know they talk about the Kronspine incarnate next. Well, let's put a pin in that and keep, and keep moving with the story here. Um, uh, so that, you know, throughout the, throughout the book and even a little bit earlier, they talk about uh, the beastmen getting reinforced by um, mortals, which have started to transform into more were beasts type things. Um, and earlier on in one of the other sections, you know, they had little snippets of lore from different groups talking, some from Skaven, some from, there was one, one snippet from Lumineth that talks about this where, you know, behavior just changing and they call it the curse of Kadon. Are any of you familiar with what that, does that reference anything historically or is that? Kadon uh, was a sorcerer in the, not in Age of Sigmar, but in Warhammer's fantasy, there was a, a magic book. And there was a spell um, where Kadan would, I believe he summoned monsters. So it was a spell uh, called Kadan something or other. Yeah, there was gotcha. a, a lore of beasts spell. What was it? Yeah, yeah it was it, lore it tra- of beasts. Yeah, wouldn't it transform someone into a, a monster? Isn't that what the spell did? I can't remember. But trans- gotcha. Transformation of Kadan, possibly? Yep. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, it was just it felt like it had a reference, but I wasn't familiar with it, so that's what I was kind of. And if you want to see it in action, read Kragnos Avatar Destruction because one of the, <laughs> what, is the uh, what, what is the the color of Gur Magic? It's not it's not an amber wizard, is it? Amber. It is yeah, amber. Yeah. Yeah. So one yeah. of the amber wizards 
I don't think this is a spoiler to say one of the Amber Wizards in Kragnos casts, I think it even calls it out. It calls it the transformation of Kadan and, and transforms some of his, some of his allies into these, these beasts. Um, gotcha. Pretty cool. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, audience. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you no, for, I mean, for bringing up, you know, all these books. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, we leave we leave the destruction forces perspective. We hop back to the uh, forces of order. What have they been up to? Uh, where do they go? What do they do? Who is their daddy, and what do they do? We we have the forces of order like on the march, on the hunt for this thing, and I really like this section because it shows Vorst, who is a stormcast, who knows like what other stormcasts are obviously going through. But he still snaps at the fact like Indrasta is so cold and silent. Like it's showing like the the cost of reforging not just to us mortals, but to like it's really annoying the other Stormcast when someone's gone too far. Uh, and like this is someone that he knew when they like before they were both Stormcast, which I really enjoy, like having yeah. that mm-hmm. relationship. I wonder how often that happens where you get like reforged with people that you knew in your past life. Does that happen all the time and people just don't realize it because their memories have been wiped? Or like, do, does Sigmar try to keep, you know, friends together so that like, because they work well together? I wonder. Well, I mean, like all the Auric Lions come from Gur, you know, so they, they may very well know. Well, in this case, they do know each other. A lot of them do. But, uh, but a lot of the other storm hosts also come from the realm in which they uh, work. So, you know, it's, it's not, not unlikely that they might have known each other. So the real friends were the friends that you made along the way. Sure, were the friends that you'd already made along the way. <laughs> and again, <laughs> guys, so we've, we've got some like destruction-focused stormcast, right? Like that are from the realm of Kerr, and they're called the Auric Lions. Mm-hmm. Auric. I wonder if Auric, yeah, they're you know, are they reincarnated orcs? Is that a possibility, right? Like, I, how, oh. I strongly doubt it. That's a strong <laughs> doubt. Fair, but like, obviously, that was an intentional thing. You take the the destruction faction stormcast, right, kind of theme thing, and you call them the Auric somethings, but you spell it differently. Obviously, well, it's it's Auric as in gold. Well, I know gold. that. I, I know that. Okay, that's okay, okay. I just didn't know if you knew or not. <laughs> but you know, if you say it out loud, it sounds like right. it's just yeah. true, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, we hop back into the the perspective of the the stormcast, and they they I believe they come across like this outpost that's under attack from I guess different orcs, right? We're already following some orcs, but these are different orcs that are attacking the place. Yeah. Um, and they say this simply will not do, um, and they they you know charge in and try to come to the rescue of this this out uh, outpost. Um, they save the day. The orcs are driven off, and they realize that the the residents of this outpost. Uh, are suffering from some of that that like some of that bestial transformation, right? Am I remembering this correctly? Yep. Um, yep. And that because they have this proximity to this Cronspire, uh, Cronspire, yeah, range on well, the incarnate, as we know, but I don't know that they know this quite yet. There's some transformative property uh, that the the outpost is nearby, and um, this place is in danger if if they if it's not you know if it's not beaten if it's not conquered if it's not resolved if they don't do something um these folks are going to you know succumb to their feral nature and so they use this as sort of the i don't know a launching point or you know gives them purpose to then pursue further this warping transformative uh thing that they need to hunt down and um defeat they assume um did that sum up the section do you guys have anything to add or anything to add or anything jump out at you uh in this in this part of the story 
Yeah. So one other thing to add is before they got to the outposts, that you know they they do highlight that how fierce the um, beasts and and fauna are currently while they're trying to you know migrate to this direction. They said about a third of their number are lost just to rampaging beasts that just running them over and and other sorts of attacks. You know from aurochs and other creatures. You know that they're just constantly being attacked. You know the aggression level is, is much higher than it usually is. Um, one other thing I didn't bring that stood out to me is this: they were talking to the leader of the outpost, and he's covered in like uh, crocodilian scales. Um, so yeah. it's not just fur, but like it's a wide range of bestial transformations. Yeah. Which yeah. I can't wait to see crocodile uh, beastmen <laughs> make it happen. Everybody who isn't me, um, we're getting closer, guys. We're so so very very close. The two the two perspectives soon shall join. Worlds colliding. Worlds colliding. Uh, in violence, which is the best way to collide. Um, so the stormcasts are led up into this, you know, sort of the foothills and then the mountains of this Crown Spire range. Um, it, they, the villagers or, you know, however you want to, the transformed villagers uh, will only lead them so far because they're a little afraid to go any farther. Um, and it's almost as soon as they reach this range that the stormcasts are beset from uh, from every cave and crevice uh, of this mountain range. Um they're they're attacked by uh yeah the combination of the the beastmen and the oryx yeah so they had left behind sort of a not i mean they they were there this the numbers were such that they were able to attack and also sort of climb deeper into the mountain range as well um and finally uh the battle is joined the stormcast versus this weird alliance of destruction um themed or leaning uh hmm. uh f- factions and it's sort of a, a running race, right? Like the Stormcasts have to fight through this quote-unquote defense that the orcs and beastmen have set up um, to reach this this peak that they need to get to because they know that's where their their quarry lay, uh, lays. Where do we go from here? Does anything anything else you guys want to add? The sacrifice, the sacrifice of the faction holding back the enemy while the the faster elements can rush forward to stop the main threat. I say I re- I really like that. Like it gave us some almost closure to the relationship between the two leaders from the Dominion box set. Like we see mm-hmm. uh Brockagok, which is such a fun name to say. Yeah. Um, like talking to the Lord and Periton in the aftermath of this battle and just mm-hmm. taunting him because he's a cruel boy. That's what he do. Yep. Cruel boys do what cruel boys do. And stabbing him in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like that it's only when they fight that um the Lord Imperitant can recognize Yendrasta for who she is, right? Like he sees memories of her as a mortal chieftain um, when she fights. And so like, that's when he realizes that this is what it was all for, right? Like they start out being super tired and like, they've just fought this battle. But finally, when they're actually fighting, when they're actually, you know, actively working towards their purpose, then he starts to actually feel that loyalty and and feel that devotion again to who she is. And I thought that was an, a nice touch. Yeah, agreed. That makes sense. Um, so like you guys were saying, uh, the Stormcast faction sort of split up a little bit. Um, the Auric Lions, their slow, uh, I don't know, sturdier elements are, are left behind to sort of uh, protect the rear while the faster Stormcast, again, ascend um, up, up this peak to get, get to their you know, their final, final goal. Um, there's the fight between the lions and, you know, the Dominion, Dominion box, uh, the, uh, apparent goes down and Brock decides that, uh, they're going to, um, 
I guess to teach the humans a lesson. The 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 the, the what would the, the yeah, guides the, the, the outposts? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. they so they kind of leave. The, if I understand correctly, don't they? they did, so they're leaving the battlefield, right? Like they're they've yep. done what they were sent here to do, and they're going to head yep. back down and, and cause as much mayhem as they. You know, I guess mayhem's not even necessarily the word. There's as much pain as they can, um, and it seems like there's easier pickings down the mountainside. Um, mm-hmm. While Andrasta and her her faster uh, stormcast elements are um, advancing uh, on on the the peak, um, what what happens next, my friends? Tell me about it. They finally come into the cool new model that's in the book, um, but the, the, they come through the the pass, and Andrasta sees this like new thing. Un, like completely unperceived and unimagined creature. It says creature does not do it justice, right? But like, just imagine a hurricane, uh, basically, that manifests from realm stone with a personality, and like, it, it, it yeah, it's it's fun to read about characters in Age of Sigmar discovering something new without it being actively destroying them. And so to have her standing there and watching what's going on and seeing what this is, and then realizing that this is a thing that is a problem and, and that she has been seeking for. But then as she's like, finally, all right, this is it. This is what we need to do. Then her storm casts start being affected by Gur, And the most, um, like so, the worst effect: they drop to a loping crouch, tossing aside weapons to tear with their own hands, which is like a very brutal way of um, mm-hmm. devolving, right? For these stormcasts, these immortal warriors, like that's it, actually something that's relatively scary. Just to think of, like, if if this is not taken care of, I've just created immortal feral beasts by bringing them here. One of the interesting things I thought about this section is, you know, obviously it says, oh yeah, stormcast can be affected as well, but that the different storm hosts mutated or changed in specific ways. So like the astral lions started to sprout white manes and, and then the hammers of Sigmar had draconic voices and broke out in scaly mutations. So mm-hmm. there's somehow these different storm hosts have certain bestial traits associated with them already. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, what what would you think about this? this culmination of the story. I really liked it. It really, we had kind of mentioned it before, but like felt like a, like black library retelling of a fight, like really getting into the nitty gritty. And it also did a good job of like, just the picture of Andrasta and the crown spine showing just how truly massive these things are. Cause she's got her wings spread out tall. She's standing on these heightened stairs. It even looks like her base is elevated and it still towers over her, uh, just showing like how truly powerful these incarnates are going to be in the in the lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and, and this particular section also kind of talks about the amber glow in the in the uh, the orc's eyes. You know, the the bone is a split of his eyes you know the 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 shaman who's taking control of it so it's right here it's kind of the preview to oh yeah your, your characters <laughs> can control this thing you know it's connected it's directing where it's attacking you know so let's kind of see that in a story element before you actually get to the rules it's kind of cool 
Yeah, agreed. So the scene is set. Um, the the stormcaster is just as bestial as the orcs that they're fighting. Um, the shaman is standing and, and, ga- and gaining control of this incarnate, um, casting spells. Um, it looks like this stormcaster kind of on the back foot, um, but I believe. I mean, so an dress is injured, but what she does, uh, she does hear what she does best is she takes her spear. And she throws it because that's what her spear is made for. It's the <laughs> sister spear of um, Galmaraz, of, of Sigmar's hammer. And so the uh, shaman's dancing around in front of the incarnate doing his weird uh, auric dance. Uh, but the spear catches him in the chest. It pierces him straight on through. And the tip it sticks out his back. And it sort of um, knocks him backwards into the incarnate, if I'm reading this correctly. And the tip of the spear connects with the amber stone core of this of this swirling bone giant incarnate uh mm-hmm. and in doing so it uh it what does it say that it the holy spear pulled all of its temp- tempestuous might um the soul of an azurite storm matched against the wild range of gur uh the cosmic forces ward um but then there's a big all explosion and just like protects yourself with their wing um as this you know an etheric wind storm kicks up and the creature is destroyed comes apart in a howling blinding explosion mm-hmm. so apparently guys on the d- battlefield all you gotta do throw a spear at it that's it's one week <laughs> the right the right tool for the right job yeah right <laughs> marauder horsemen are awesome arrows yeah, are that's, that's what I'm hard counter to incarnates marauder horsemen um so that settles that settles that uh all in a day's work <laughs> so how, how do we feel about the the resolution um anything jump out at you guys anything you want to add yeah I, I enjoyed the fact that they they made the storm cast you know so feral and primitive and that at the end of the fight you know they they kind of recover and they you know they're feel ashamed and you know like no they couldn't control themselves you know so you know very human type responses that you would necessarily associate with them and and there's some cool follow-up stories which i'm sure we'll get to as well but um it was it was an interesting fight because it certainly showed her in um in a in a losing situation until she had that prime opportunity to throw the spear and, and take down two birds with one stone so to speak it's one way to yeah one way to phrase it two yeah two birds one one spear um yep. what, what do you what do you other guys think i enjoyed the story uh for sure it it's hard i, I think part of me was like why am i having a hard time retelling the story it's because there's a lot of fighting and i don't mm-hmm. particularly enjoy being like and then they did this and then they did this right like it, it's well written enough that it feels poor to try and I talk mm-hmm. about each aspect of the fight. Um, but it, I, I like that it kind of played out um, the way that would kind of make sense in a game. So that was enjoyable for me, uh, that it, it felt real to to life. Um, and I don't know, I, just, I, I liked the story. I liked that there is, it was a short story, but the conclusion felt satisfying to me. And it felt engaging from the beginning to the end, so I appreciated that a lot. Well, I'll tell you what: if if the the fighting got repetitive or you know less engaging for you, I've got I've got an idea of what might have fixed it, which was oh. this sort of they don't they don't call it an epilogue or an outro, but it kind of feels mm. like that to the story. Um, some mm. some great uh great not bookends, but uh, f- final parting parting scenes that I think really piqued my uh my interest does anybody want to talk about what happens next i'll do it so yeah you will i am well so we have uh to what 
Josh was saying, like the Stormcast are like truly exhausted. This this Gurus energy that was fueling not only the Oryx and the the Beasts of Chaos, but also the Stormcast themselves, is sort of gone. And you get that well, how do you pronounce it? Denouement as we start coming down from that high. And you even see Andrasta break just a little as she sees the saddest thing of Ironbeak, the Griffhound, wandering around looking for his Lord Imperitant who didn't survive. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm glad Ironbeak is okay, but now I'm sad. I was having a good time before you brought that up, Well, And now <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that I am. Uh, but what might uh, raise your spirits a little bit is we have the appearance of the the elder Draconith Karazai, the Scarred Prince, who <laughs> shows up after all the fighting is done, which is so unusual for him since he loves fighting. Uh, and he has a nice little chat with Andrasta, letting her know what's up for the future. Yeah. I mean, he gives a little, I mean, I don't know why he's being so cryptic. Like, you can just tell us what you know, guy. But, but basically, he's yeah. like, uh, <laughs> she, she's like, all right, well, at least we killed this thing. Problem solved. And he chuckles to himself. He's like, oh, 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 if you think this problem is solved, I got another thing for you. Uh, and yeah. her response is like, well, at least it won't be boring, which also seems like a very, that doesn't seem like a interesting comment to me, but maybe I don't know her that well. Um, but so, like, it's the two of them talking, like, past each other and i don't know if they're saying all that much of important um but at the very least we can all agree on that there will be more green skills green skins to kill and they, they can find common ground uh, on that front yeah he's got some interesting comments you know especially like he's very pessimistic our last days will be dawn uh, will be dawn in a storm of savagery so he certainly thinks like these events are precipitating you know he says all the realms are waking up uh this is only the beginning essentially so uh, from Thondia to the Spiral Crux, everything beast will hold dominion. Yeah, <laughs> that was that one was fine. I don't I don't know why they needed to bring in the dragon, but so be it. I, it's, it's fun to sometimes it's just fun to see names that you recognize. But the more interesting one to me is the uh, I guess the ramifications on the beastmen side, right? So the the Brayshaman, yes, yeah, has has survived, right? He was hiding in some like hidden crag, and he was basically just watching the whole the thing, the whole you know the whole fight, right? Because it was the battle mostly between the Stormcast and the Orcs at this point. Um, after, you know, his, his, his paltry, uh, his, his sacrificial beastmen, you know, were put, put up a little bit of a defense. Um, so he starts, uh, I guess if it's in some ways an internal monologue, but it's not really internal monologue because he's talking to like the voice of the God in his head. Right. Um, or maybe not, it's not an explicit conversation, but he's, he's reflecting on like his, uh, on, uh, Morger's, uh, desires. And it turns out that like, this was in some ways a test. This was a, a way for him to, uh, see the full strength of like the incarnates. Um, and this was, uh, just the beginning from his perspective and that, um, uh, I'm trying to think, basically he's going to use this knowledge, uh, of the incarnates and, um, use it to his advantage and maybe use it to become more powerful and enact Morger, Morger's, uh, will, um, Morger, Morger, Morger. Get it? wait a sec, guys, it's literally in the name. <laughs> it really is in the name. <laughs> oh my. I, my mind is blown. Um, that was in the old world too. Yeah, true. Yep, yep, yep. yep. That's oh, hilarious. So anyways, the, the idea being that there's opportunity here for the Beastmen. And so, although 
it's a lot of, you know, oh, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll watch out because next time we meet, it's going to be, you know, bad. It's, it's a classic, you know, villain parting um, thoughts. But it's hard not to read this and not expect like Beastman to get some love in the future, right? Does it, this seems like right. a telltale like evidence that like something something more is coming for the Beastman? They they spent too much too much time in these pages, um, hinting at more to come that they they have to pay it off. I gotta imagine they will. What uh what do you guys think? I agree. Yeah, it seems very much like they're setting something up, and it will have a payoff. They better. Um, I suppose that what I wanted I should have asked this listener question first before I went on my whole spiel right there but um a a question from tomb king tristan or might i add patron tomb king tristan but he asked did you find any hints for the future and this is my smoking gun hint to the future this is my Uh prime candidate for things to come down the line um is this this beastman blurb about uh, how they're not they're not done yet um and what better time for the beastmans to rise in in this era of the beasts so yeah yeah well, that and, and, and new incarnates, uh, I mm-hmm. think, too, has been hinted at in here that, you know, the different realms manifest differently. Even though this type of incarnate is found all across all the realms, there are different manifestations of incarnates. So I definitely think we'll see varieties of those. Uh, another question uh, from uh, a listener, Neil Hearn, uh, had asked, um, are there any other incarnates mentioned in the lore? Um, they're not so much specifically identified, but rather maybe they generally allude to, you know, regions or realms that could generate incarnates. Um, yep. So again, building off of what Paul or uh, uh, Josh had just said, um, Paul, it sounded like you wanted to say something. Um, well, the interesting thing to me about that, and you'll be I'll the be judge there, of that, yeah. is um, <clears throat> that Kara's eye knows what's happening and knows mm-hmm. how it's affecting the realms. So I'm wondering if this is something that has happened before. Hmm. Right, like it implies that there is a history of this thing happening, um, which implies all kinds of stuff about what happened in the realms before. So I thought that was a cool little drop, as well. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. It's interesting. He said he's been hearing the heartbeat for thousands of years, but yeah. So whether it happened before or not, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. But then, how does he know that it's because of the elementals? How did you know it was going to be here, and how did you know there's going to be more? Mm-hmm. It's tough to say more to come. I bet. Well, we'll yeah, because it does say you know, Kara's eyes snarls, and he says Gur has not been free since long before your man got arrived, which implies that it was free at one point in time, right? You know, so mm-hmm. like he said maybe he had known, you know, a time in when it was in which it was free. Yep. Interesting. Good, 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 good scrying phase, you guys. Um, uh, so uh, Tomb can. Uh, Tristan, Tomb King Tristan, patron of the show, uh, to build off that, uh, asks, how do we see them expanding on the concept, that is to say, of the incarnates? Um, do you guys have any thoughts on either the ways you would expect them to expand on the incarnates or the ways you would want them to expand on the incarnates? Any thoughts there? I, I just like the idea that they might represent all these different kinds of realmstone in model form. Yep. That's my hope. And if they don't finish the cycle, so help me God, um, there's nothing worse than <laughs> well, a started and not finished cycle. Well, the interesting thing is they talk about these constructs as already that, you know, that this type of construct is typically formed of realm stone and a variety of bones. And they're found across the realms and they're all called the Kronspine incarnates. So you know, they're already saying that this construct exists in all other realms using its own realm stone. Mm-hmm. So I think the more interesting question is, okay, well, what, you know, it alludes to other types of incarnates, you know, what would those look like? You know, uh, you know, if we have this 
bone primal type construct that's found across all the different realms, what might another one look like? Maybe it's more manifested of of winds and lightning, or maybe one's water based, or you know, is it more elemental or not? Or so that'll be kind of interesting yeah. to see how they might. A water-based incarnate is such a novel idea. Speaking of novels, if you want to know more about water-based incarnates, <laughs> check out Cragnos, Avatar of Destruction. There's, there's a creature in there that isn't specifically named as an incarnate, but it really, if it, it walks like a duck, squawk, you know, squawks like a duck. Yeah, oh, hilarious. Like um, but Josh, you, you bring up a good point. I think there's two, there's two vectors by how things can be different. One, there's going to be... A, there, there ought to be incarnates based off of different realms stone. Like we were talking about, you know, what is a, an Ogu, what is, I can't remember what Ogu is. Why would I pick the one stone that I don't know? Um, uh, versus, um, <laughs> you had eight choices here. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess I can't, I can't of, of, you know, yeah. I can't think of any of the other ones. So each, each realm may have its in, uh, sort of representative incarnate. And that's probably what I imagine they'll do. Um, like for models, right? That's what they'll make different realm models. Um, but furthermore, we're talking about how the Kronspine incarnate doesn't just live in Gur. Kronspine incarnates, which are creatures made from the amber bone realm stone, um, those can still show up in different realms, which is then GW basically telling you, hey, you can use your incarnate no matter on what realm you're, you're in yep. for the game, right? So yep. that's how they're getting around that. But in doing so, presumably they can they don't necessarily i don't believe have to look exactly the same but rather there's a bunch of bones um but those bones can come from anywhere like they can or, come from mm-hmm. tar pits from akshi or they can come from and they list some other like uh yeah. like graveyards site. of akshi yeah. oily, oily tar pits of shaman yeah, exactly. ravines of lendu yeah perhaps there could be you know not necessarily bones but like the shells of spiders or something like that like absolutely definitely. Well, definitely so <laughs> on two different vectors can you get creative with what your incarnate's going to look like whether you're you're going to use different realm stone or you're going to use the same realm stone but you're going to re-envision it in a different way because it comes from a different realm um so in some ways it honestly complicates the issue but it, it, i think it opens up the door for a lot of um, unique uh, creativity And I would say you could even go a third vector of like what other incarnates can exist using um, Gur realm stone that's not bones. Like we talked Mm -hmm. about the 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 living river in Kragnos. Oh, true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a so many different options that it's kind of hard to see where GW will go with it lore wise. What I assume will happen is we'll probably get something similar to like the malign sorcery box with just like a few examples from all the realms. Mm. Yeah. Good call. From like a, from like a product standpoint, that's, I I, can see that that's where the direction they're going to go. Right. Like these incarnates are the equivalent of the, of the endless spells like this. It's this, it's this version of the endless spells, which I mean, I hate to be, I I don't mean to be dismissive (laughs) of that. Like it still ends up being cool. It's just, it's, it's just a new way to introduce, um, a similar sim- similar concept. Um, I really skipped over this question, but I don't want to leave uh, a Carrion's question out, which is to say, uh, they ask, is there any reference to the Lifequake impact on the realm um, beyond, now this is Aaron adding, beyond just like <laughs> the, the Kragnos uh, release, I think we owe to the Lifequake. Um, I believe in the story, they just talk about how these incarnates are given life or you know are awoken because of the life quake so yep. the incarnates are a direct result of that life quake yep. um do you guys have anything else to add to that um yeah so part of the like when we were talking about locations we kind of glossed over the gnarl wood 
um, which is like a grove of trees in Thandia that has, it mentions it like super expanding and blossoming ever since the, the right of life. So we can see like the areas where Sylvaneth used like have lived in other realms are growing. So their, their territory in this faction is growing in power, even when they're not in Gairan. Yeah. Great example. And maybe another reason why Sylvaneth might be another army that we see, uh, get some love in the near future. Fingers crossed. That's me editorializing. <laughs> I don't know anything. Um, Cool. And then uh, another question from Tristan is that he wanted to know if we felt that they did a good job explaining and placing the incarnates in the world. Uh, this is more of an opinion type question. Uh, what did you guys think about the implementation of the incarnate uh, as we've seen here in, in this story? Uh, I would say I think they did a good job. Like you can tell this like the whole crux of this story was incarnates. Here they are. But I think they did a really good job of seeding it because we know enough about Gur, we know enough about Fandia to see the effects of what the Incarnate is doing, to see people transforming under this Gurish energy, to see the Stormcast themselves doing all this stuff that like it easily could have been like, this is a story to introduce this thing, buy these models, please. But they really like tied into all of the existing lore and expanded on it in a way that I I think was fulfilling. Yeah, I think they did a good job. Well, I mean, I, it, to, I mean, to build off that point in that they they took a place that we kind of knew, and then they changed the they they used the place that we knew to illustrate the 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 transitive properties of these incarnates, which is to say, they were able to change the place that we knew, and it's all because of this new thing, right? So um, that helps, I guess, set the backdrop or give context to the the the, the new you know the incarnate that they're trying to introduce. That um, I think helps frame it in a way that we can, you know, maybe understand a little better. Hey, Will, do you want to ask your question about the other seasons of work? Kind of related to what we're talking about here. Yeah. My, the question I had as a listener was, what other seasons of war would you want to see next? Right, yeah, we were kind of talking about other incarnates, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other seasons of war that we might investigate. Maybe they'll be tied together, or maybe it'll be sort of divorced entirely from the incarnate concept but um it, it seems weird that they would they would preface the title of this book with season of war if, if they didn't intend to reuse the you know reuse that um you know term in the future uh for me because i had started talking and i can't seem to stop um <laughs> i i think highlighting um famous uh, areas or regions of the other mortal realms it seemed the most likely right like take whatever the the Shiishian equivalent of Thandia is, which I think is probably the prime innerlands or mm. um, wh whatever the continent is that, you know, so Yometrica in Hish or the great parch of actually, I had to look at the map that's on my wall. Um, so those, I know they seem broad and I know they seem like places that we've really spent a lot of time in already, but it, I can see an opportunity to deep dive in those areas in the same way that we've done here in Thandia, just to, re you know, really put a finer point on these places. Um, mm -hmm. Whether or not I want them to, maybe I would prefer them to go to more obscure locations that I've never heard of before. Uh, really doesn't super matter because they didn't ask me, but um, I could see them going that way um, <laughs> in the future. I would love to see Seasons of War Rusted Wastes um, because that was a cool place to begin with. And then they had a, a silver tower crash into it. So now it's a completely different place. So I think that could be a cool thing. Very yeah. cool. There's an older, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. They came out with a, a campaign box where you could fight, like it was a map-based campaign where you fought in different regions in Akshi. And it was in the 
It was in the, the parched area. Can't remember what the name of it was, but it was it was a really cool box set. And um, what was that? Of War. I think it was just called Seasons of War. No, it was it was uh, the Flame something or other. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Flame Scar Plateau. Flame Scar Plateau. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But uh, but it described uh, a lot of really interesting cultures that used to live there. You know, Angoraxi. like these these certain mages and these clockwork you know constructs, and you know that would be a really cool place. I thought to investigate further, and you know having these automatons perhaps, you know, wandering around and how that might play into your games and that sort of thing. Oh, Firestorm, right? Isn't that what it was? Firestorm, yes. Yeah. That's what it was. I looked mm. it up. Um, yeah, very cool. And so uh, you can see sort of the, some of the similarities between that and this, right? It was an investigation. It was very region-based. It was a, a dive into an area. Um, but you, mm-hmm. you can also tell that they were... They had different, I don't know, goals or that the products were different things between that old Firestorm box and what they've done here uh, yep. with Season of Orthandia. Uh, very neat. All right. Um, now for a j- very jarring transition um, for this section that probably belongs a little bit higher in the episode, but it's too late now. I can't fix it. Um, <laughs> after the story, they had sl- they had added a... Is that a bestiary? Sort yeah, right. Of- a, a, basically a bestiary of... of um, of a list of monsters that, you know, exist in the the realm of Gur from the per, sort of a, a first person perspective or rather like notes being written about these, um, these creatures, uh, which w- w- was a lot of fun uh, to read through these and get, you know, um, I don't know, just descriptions and, and uh, a first person view of, of uh, the monsters that populate um, the realms, both the ones that we've seen before uh, and those that we haven't. Um, which uh, was also kind of fun the mixture of the things we knew and the things we didn't, uh, I don't know why I'm going on this long about this. Uh, did you guys have any favorite creatures, uh, monsters, or otherwise yeah. in this list that you guys wanted to chat about? I love the uh, barbed snifferweed spears because <laughs> it's literally just foam balls with toothpicks in it. <laughs> but that's now an official like, thing in Thondia. And oh. it's actually one of the terrain rules as well, which is super fun. Really? Yeah, like so. Yep. You remember in 40k, like for old 40k tables, they would just have a foam ball painted green, and they would put two. Oh, oh yes, yeah. No, yeah. I definitely remember those. That is exactly what the picture is. It's foam balls yeah. with toothpick, toothpicks in them, and now they're an AOS terrain thing. So I thought that was super fun. And they're ascension. Yep. Will <laughs> <laughs> chase you down. Yep. <laughs> All right. On. Uh, what, what about the rest? Do you guys any have any beasts that you want to chat about? Yeah, uh, I really like the Jabber Slife. You know, I, you know, seen the model a few times. I've never really played against one or anything, but you know, just the description of its, you know, madness, inspiring, and uh, you know, it's just its anatomy is is hilarious. So I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but about a dollar that we'll see a new Jabberslith when the Beastmen get an update. That, that would be cool. That's my. Guess. You know, it is interesting with some of these where they talk about how certain Beastmen follow it and they don't know why or whatever, you know, so definitely kind of, again, kind of hinting towards, so maybe we'll get some more information about this in the future. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Will, what about you? Um, my favorite beast is a plant. It is the growl oak. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's awesome. just trees that will <laughs> eat you and devour you, which is just great. It says they're filled with like air sacs to like lure people in thinking there's a fight going on. And in the picture, like all the roots and in like Venus flytraps type like plant mouths. Um, just I love it highlights the fact that like all of Gur is going to eat you, even the yes. plants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love its reproductive, uh, you know, practice yeah. where it growls so that, you know, or the things come and beat on it 
and then it spreads the spores and they, they carry it somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just so creative. Um, I wanted to talk about creatures that we didn't, or yeah, creatures that we hadn't heard about before. And I don't believe these terror pins have ever come up, but it's these huge, mm. like scaled, like shelled creatures. I mean, it's a, it's a punny name, right? A, versus a terrapin. Um, but they are uh, swampland, wetland natives. Um, they've got, they hang out in standing water and they've got these, you know, they can grow to like obscene sizes. Uh, they've got these huge shells that sometimes they can grow out of and they can leave their shells and find. Um, uh, yeah, terrapins are type of turtle. Yep, yeah, exactly, so right? So they've got yep, the, yeah, the, right. the classic yeah. shell um, vibe to them. Um, mm-hmm. They're relatively sedentary, but they'll still eat you right up. Uh, and they've got uh, um, toxic secretions from their claws that they like coat their their beaks in, and so they'll so there's kind of a double threat. They're toxic both at the claw uh, level as well as the beak. And it sounds like some of this this these toxins that they produce are sometimes harvested by uh, a certain certain breed of auric that like to you know deal in in those toxins, which of course leads us to believe that the cruel boys um, will you know hunt these guys down and, and harvest their toxins for whatever their nefarious uh, cruel machinations might be. So uh, if you're ever traversing the swamps of Gur, watch out for one of these terror pins this is my second favorite thing about this book is there was another section too earlier on it kind of like inserted into the lore where it had a couple little pages of just like little stories and stuff like that um mm-hmm. but i really enjoy that because it reminds me a lot of the old forge world books that they used to do like Montrest arcana in particular uh, it had these little drawings and it had the text and stuff, because they didn't have most of the models done for Manchester Arcana, so everything was a picture. And so I like this like journal presentation where somebody in world is presenting you with their opinion of what this thing is and like how it moves and evolves in the world. So I thought that was super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially some of the individual perspectives that the person offer, the author offers, you know, in terms of, oh, the, you know, every time I think of this, you know, when I get these nightmares. And <laughs> yeah, that's true. That point reminds me of a barely even tangentially related point, but um, I like the trend of what they've been doing in the battle tomes, but then also in books like this, where whenever there's art, they, they put in a little like caption or a little phrase uh, attached to these pictures that, you know, often has something to do with the picture at hand. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're just, you know, battle cries or something silly. Uh, but one of the pictures of uh, one of the cruel boys on the giant vulture looking thing, um, they're attacking mm-hmm. a bunch of storm casts and the caption below it is uh, brutality and cunning are no match for faith. Faith. And the only reason I bring it up is because it's so odd to see the words brutality and cunning spelled out, spelled correctly in relation to an orc picture, because you're so used to seeing it, you know, spelled with K's and without the, the end of the G. So obviously the point being is that like a stormcaster, someone is saying, you know, brutality and cunning are no match for faith. Uh, it, it, it's utterly jarring to see the words spelled out completely in a Warhammer book. <laughs> well, in the picture, it does, you know, it does, certainly doesn't look like the Stormcaster in the best position. No, that's true, right? You're going to need to f- need some faith to get out of that one. Um, all right, uh, any other beast blurbs or any other, I guess, any other points you guys want to make about the, uh, the book as a whole before we get into some final listener questions that didn't seem to really apply to anything else that we were talking about up above? Um, just to, like, Paul's point of, like, the section we kind of missed over of, like, those little like journal blurbs oh sure mm-hmm. i really loved there was one where it was like an ogor who was writing about like how they saw Kragnos 
as an avatar of the the maw since everywhere mm-hmm. he goes he just makes huge mouths in the land but they, they don't think he's good enough so they're gonna go teach him how to really eat stuff and i just <laughs> yeah, think that's the worst like <laughs> it was awesome like it everyone awesome. like you you got the oryx who see craig knows as like the big boss and they want to be the bigger boss and then you got ogors who are like yeah, but does this guy really know how to eat? Mm-hmm. L- let's teach him something. Oh, he's so skinny. You got to eat some, <laughs> some meat on your bones, guy. He has no appreciation for cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like some of those journal entries are neat because they, they highlight different factions that would have, you know, some reaction to beasts sort of being in ascendancy. One of the little blurbs is like it's, uh, some Skaven talking to, or, you know, writing a missive to some other Skaven saying that they really got to keep an eye on those Mulder Skaven because like they're getting a little too big for their britches and, and things might get out of control with this, um, you know, the, the beasts getting larger and more frail, right? Because the Mulder clans right. are all about like their, their mutated rats and stuff like that. So like, again, yeah, it, it, it gives, gives you an opportunity to think about how does this new era of beasts affect the armies that I know? And, you mm-hmm. know, Mulder is a, a prime example of someone who would really, or you know, not someone, someone's who would benefit from this new ferocity uh, out in the world. So that was cool. I like that. Yeah. Uh, right on. If there are no other general thoughts, well, I'm going to jump into these listener questions. Um, can I jump in quick to the listener questions? Because I can answer four of them super quick. <laughs> well, yes. Sh- yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. So first question from patron Tyromancer. Does it mention anything that has happened during the events of Hallowed Ground? No. Not really. Yeah. Patron Klaus M.A. Does it nod to Harrow Deep or Curse City? No, it does not. Um for Travis Griffin, thank you again for the question. Do we get any news about the big gods and what's going on with them? Does the Order Pantheon continue to fracture? We don't have anything about that in this book. Yeah, also right? correct. Um, mm-hmm. So those three, all set and good. Um, now, uh, patron Klaus M.A., does it move the overall story forward? Does it lend more weight to 3.0? Is Age of Beasts still a bit tame? Go. Answer. <laughs> hey, good, good, good job. Um, that's how I do it. Uh, does it move the overall story forward? I don't know that it does. I mean, you could make the argument that Incarnates is somehow moving the story forward. I think it moves it. It moves maybe the current story in a more fleshed out. I know this doesn't make any sense. It's, it's a distinction without a difference. But it seems to be that it's not moving forward so much as it as it is enlarging the current story as it is. It's not doing the same job that Broken Realms did. I don't personally yeah. think, um, and so. In doing so, well, I'm, I'll get into how I feel about that later, but uh, four doesn't feel like the direction that it's it's going currently. Now, that's not to say if more books like this don't come out, maybe j- the overall trend will be forward, but this one specifically isn't as forward as I would have liked. What do you guys think? And I would say I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And then for like the second part of the question, does it lend more weight to 3.0? I think it does lend more weight by not moving forward and by like zooming in, it's not like rushing past story beats. It's really showing you the effects of things that are happening, which I enjoy. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's yeah. true. I can, I can see the benefit in that. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. Cause you know, we, we got all the broken, broken realms books, you know, and they, they were really nice in terms of pushing the stories forward and you got snapshots of what was going on, but you really, I didn't feel like you got a whole lot of time to actually play in that space before the next one was out. So now it feels like we've kind of gotten to a place and now we're kind of immersing ourselves in this period of history and getting to do more in this space before we move on to the next thing. And that's kind of nice. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm glad people who play have the opportunity to do so. And sometimes I need to take a step back and realize that not everybody wants to maybe move at the breakneck pace that I want to. Um, and so I can appreciate and, uh, and appreciate the joy that, you know, folks may get by taking a breather and, you know, living in the, in the, the, the spaces as, as it's presented to us. So right on kudos to you, Josh. Um, all right, and then one, two, three. I guess we got another question from Tomb King Tristan, uh, patron and friend of the show. Uh, he asks, what type of army would you build if you were starting from scratch to go with this book? I wouldn't, but I'll ask you guys, what, uh, what, what, would, you, what would you all do? <laughs> Any ideas swimming in those, those noggins ears? Yeah, I've always been interested by Beasts of Chaos, you know, and this this kind of just uh, encourages that, I think, in terms of, oh, oh, maybe there's some new battle tome coming out, but some other cool aspects and creatures and focusing on the beasts of Gur. That's probably what I would do. Yeah, very cool. Uh, did, you, did this book inspire any of ideas uh, in the, the either you two, the rest of you? Yeah, so it it's not something we talked about here because it goes into rules, but one Blah. thing... Bleh, right? Tui. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but one thing the incarnate, or at the very least, Kronspine, the incarnate can do is it can eat endless spells. So I really want to do an army of just like endless spell witch hunters, sort of like Duralia and Galen Vendenst, who have a Kronspine to help them kill endless spells. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. That would be cool. That's neat. Right on. It's like the fourth time I've said this. <laughs> so it has to happen now. Yeah, exactly. You've committed yourself. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that it'll be weeks before this episode comes out. Um, so folks will have heard it already. Um, right on. And, and, and Paul, what do you think? Did this book inspire any armies for you? Um, it could be cool to do an army um, of the, the devolved humans that were in that Dawnbringer Crusade. Yeah, like, sure. That could be a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And then to ally in a crown spine incarnate to justify why that would be a thing. You could do a lot of fun little conversions and stuff like that. And it would definitely be a different um, Cities of Sigmar army for sure. Yeah, true. Right. Hey, great ideas, guys. Uh, hey, Tristan, there's some ideas for you right then and there. Um, I think that covers the listener questions besides the last question that i'll get to when we do our, our final thoughts do you guys have any other points or topics or things that you guys want to chat about uh for this book before we get into our like i said final thoughts did you guys want to talk about the i mean i know you had your own episode about the path to glory did you want to do a little blurb here just for people um yeah you can do that so if you do if you're one of those people that does play and you are interested in the path to glory um, we actually have done a review, and you can find it on the Path to Story uh, podcast, right? Well, exactly. We uh, we 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 definitely spent some time just sitting down, looking at everything, and, and delving into it. After you looked at it, did you then talk about it? Because it's not very good radio if you're just looking. We looked at it. We talked we, about it. We, didn't we actually think about got that. to play it as well. Um, yeah, which was super. I would say if like the stories that we've talked about here as presented are intriguing to you and you would want to participate in them, the rules in this book do a great job of letting you do this. Like you can play through this storyline as its own separate campaign 
And then you could also take all of these tools and then create your own stories with the same themes, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah it does so. So I uh, check out the Path to Story podcast, um, available wherever you download the podcast and also uh, can be found at themoralrealms.com. Um, but from there, let's go into our final thoughts, though I will, I will couch it with this question from... Uh, yet again, from Dog Tired, patron uh, of the show. Um, they ask, is this book worth getting just for the lore? So I want to know what you thought about the book. And I also want to know if you think the book was worth getting just for the lore, just for the things that we've talked about uh, here today. I loved it. Absolutely. And it, I I didn't realize this is a book that I wanted until I read it. And I was like, this is a book that I wanted. And it, it, it I love how it fleshes out a specific part of the world. I love how it continues the story of Dominion. Like, and... It, yeah, it ticks so many boxes. So is it worth getting just for the lore? Absolutely. There's massive amounts of lore and and in a different way that we haven't had it presented before. So super cool. Right on. Who's next? Yep. I'll, I'll chime in as well. You know, First of all, I will say thank you, Games Workshop, for sending us a copy of this book to read and, um, and share with you all. Um, and yeah, no, I, I'm planning to buy it, um, even though I've read a lot of it already because it's <laughs> it's amazing. It's got a lot of very good lore. Uh, I think the Path of Glory. I haven't played it myself yet, but I'm really excited about it. And I think the information in this book, you know, kind of lends itself to um, pulling your armies into Gur and what would that look like and where might they be and you know. So it, you know, there's a lot of background and things that are kind of spinning in my head based on what I read in here, and, and I, I really enjoyed it myself. You know, and I think it's a, a great way to cement everything all the black library material and everything that's happened so far in one book like you know like we've talked about and i think it's that's the first time i've kind of really seen that before right on hey uh will what did you think yeah i i really enjoyed the story i'm definitely gonna get the book for myself partially just because i like having all the books but also that's because weird do, who would, who right? would do that what kind of sick <laughs> Um, but I, like, I did really enjoy the story as far as like, is it worth getting just for the lore? If you already know about Gur and you already know the things that could happen in Gur and are invested in Gur, I definitely think the book is worth it. If you know nothing about Gur, then this is like the book. This book has everything. It gives you the entire lowdown on the realm and has what you need. So I, I do think it is worth getting. Okay. Right on. Um, all right. So from my vantage point, um, did I like the book? I definitely like the book. I love these campaign books and these are probably my favorite types of things that they put out, whether it's, you know, Broken Realms or, you know, but now Seasons of War or, I mean, heck, even the, um, the, the books that they put in those box sets. I know there's not a lot of similarity, but there's still the common commonalities across them that I really enjoy. And so those are the things I most look forward to. Um, it was a little different this, this um, season of war book compared to, you know, like I said, Broken Realms, where it's that's much more big names, big characters, big, big events happening. And this is more of a, maybe a fallout from those larger events. And then, you know, a, a, an, um, a region investigation, uh, um, a setting book, uh, if you will. And so in doing so, it, it, it does a little bit of different work than those campaign books, but it, I think it scratches a lot of similar itches um, as well. However, to the question of, is this birth book worth getting just for the lore? I will say yes, but it's not a strong yes. I'm, I'll give it a tentative yes or a, a tepid yes um, in that it's hard to remove myself or take a step back from what I know and what I appreciate from these books compared to what other people might get out of it. Um, there may be a situation depending on who you are and, you know, how well-versed you are in the moral realm. So there may be other things, other books, maybe more worth getting. Um, 
again, if maybe you're more interested in those big events, those big, you know, happenings in the world and less interested in, you know, deep dives into a given a setting like we just talked about, um, I, there may be better books out there for you, better campaign books like The Broken Realms may may scratch a better itch or a different itch for you. Um, I just like complete pictures and like how these books come at, mm-hmm. come at the mortal realms from different perspectives or at different angles or at different levels, right? Um, uh, and so in doing so, I think this is, this again, like I said, it completes a, a, a picture for, you know, a, a region that we thought we knew a lot about, but there was, uh, there's always more to learn. Um, the story wasn't super engaging, especially when compared to those Broken Realms um, stories. And maybe that's what's where I get a little bit of my hangups, right? Is because it was very simple. It was very straightforward. There's a lot of just like straightforward back and forth fights all to lead up to this, what clearly was a way to introduce a new model, which is although a very cool model, um, it reminds me that this is, these are stories in service to a game. And I wasn't able to necessarily trick myself into thinking that uh, this is, you know, these are stories for the sake of stories, um, but that's fine. Uh, you, you get used to it if you follow Warhammer long enough. Um, but well, it sounds like we just got to read Kragnos. Yeah, that's that's right, yeah. Well, that was really great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say, like, because I answered the question of like for the lore in the sense of like the building of the world and things like that. If you were asking, is this book wor- worth it just for like the story and moving the narrative forward? I would say probably not. <laughs> Yeah, right. And so that's that's how I'm kind of looking at it. There's two ways to look at what is lore in this question, right? World building, yeah, sure. It does a a pretty good job. Um, But story-wise, like what ended up being sort of the second half of our review here, uh, it it, it wasn't meant to be this ground-shaking story. It was a way to, you know, ease you into the introduction of this new thing that you'd never seen before. And so, if you want I get- ground-shaking, you should read Kragnos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that God was- of Earthquakes that was- is great at ground-shaking. That was, that was perfect. Oh, that might have been your best joke of all time, I think. <laughs> I can't think of a better one. Um, and you know what? Maybe on that note, we'll just end, end on that high note. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up before we close around? God, that was good. All right, cool. Um, here we go. It's time for our reforging. The Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter, at The Mortal Realms. Uh, Paul, where can they find you online? At PJ Shard. Hey, Will, where can they find you online? At Severalon. Excellent. And Josh, where can they find you on the internet? At J.E. Arrington. See how I mixed it up? I went online and then internet. And then uh, I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at Dosesos, and you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Right on. Uh, <laughs> Pavend is not here. Dan, I'm just reading the line. Why would I do that? Josh, you're actually next. Who's uh, here? Uh, what have you been doing? Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Hey, Josh. Oh, well. Hey, what have you been doing in the hobby today? Uh, well, uh, Eric, uh, Vic, and I have been working on. Oh, trick is to never say anything out loud. Oh. Now that ruined my joke. I poked my mic. Don't ever say anything out loud. Um, <laughs> such a good goof.